a word to the wise. We are an explicit podcast tackling content with adult themes as well as entering spoiler territory if you aren't caught up with us. That would be through all of the currently existing... Well, no. that is that true anymore? Through Bands of Mourning. We're, we're done with Bands of Mourning. Right now, that's the end of Mistborn. But by the time this comes out, I think Lost Metal's out now. So, yeah, j- if you, if you haven't finished Bands of Morning, stop here and go back and finish that and come come join us. Okay, uh, I love you. Hey there, this is Cross, and I love you. <laughs> I'm PJ, and and we are. I don't know why. <laughs> I don't either. And we are Words and Whiskey, a podcast for veteran and novice readers like we tackle fiction novels and love to talk about what we're drinking. You should think of us as your intoxicating weekly book club. We're drinking love potions tonight, Crossland. That's what's happening. I think. Apparently, we're drinking love potions in the club. <laughs> mm-hmm. Is that is that how it works? Is that that's what how people do at the, the club? Is that the club? That's that's what the club is for. The club is Can for I love potions. Can I be a part of the club? Can I be invited to the club? Are we going to put chips in the middle? I'll consider it. Cut the sandwich into four pieces and then put chips in the middle. This brought to you by or a shitty rendition salad. of a Mitch Hedberg joke. <laughs> <laughs> or potato salad. Yes. Speaking of, if you've not heard of Mitch Hedberg, go fix that right now. Go to YouTube and go listen to any of the hour specials, but probably, which one's the... Mitch Altogether? Um, Mitch Altogether. Yeah, that would be the one. My opinion, I think that's the best of the the three. I think that are yeah, recorded there are out there, but yeah, I think there are some um, like Comedy Central specials. But yeah, YouTube. I want to say that's mostly recycled material. From it the, is a lot of it is series. from Mitch Altogether. Yeah. yeah, but yeah, if you haven't heard of Mitch Hedberg, go listen to Mitch Altogether, and you'll get a lot more jokes that PJ and I say on the show. <laughs> <laughs> you'll get most of our back and forth banter. It's true. Okay, cool. With that, today is our fourth and final episode, like PJ said, discussing The Bands of Mourning by Brandon Sanderson, and we are going to chat about 12 chapters, chapter 21 through the end. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, You can very clearly see how in a very different circumstance, I would have broken this up entirely differently, I hope, right? Mm-hmm. Because, like, this week very clearly has a separation line and then if you start to think about the other weeks there was probably one more episode in there this should have been five or six episodes but i mean time crunch this spoiler alert if you're if you've decided hey i haven't read it but i'll listen to the drink section and then i'll stop for whatever reason i'm spoiling it right now so three two one when wax dies i thought that was gonna (laughs) like that could have been like we could have had two episodes just in this section with that being the split point and mm-hmm. probably talked a lot about both of them. Yeah. I feel like it would have been cheap to put you out on Wax's death like that. Although I can see that cliffhanger existing just because it's undone so quickly after the fact that it's like, I yeah. feel a little bit, sad. it would be something maniacal that I would do, but I feel like I would leave you instead at when like Telson shoots him in the back. You know what I mean? Like he's not dead yet. Yeah. But, but- was that a different chapter, though? That was the same chapter. Yeah. No, it's, it's I think, technically, like, two chapters before because of the way oh, things really? split. Yeah. Okay. All of that Either blends way, together. Ending, 
ending the week on wax dies would have been hilarious. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. But then we would have only had like three chapters <laughs> to talk I don't about. Think so. I think it's said. like it's seven or eight. It's very late. It's 28. Uh, so I got- mean, okay. Sorry. It is 27, which does give us six chapters, but 28 and the it would have been halfway. Very short. <laughs> It it's not really halfway though textually like it's halfway chapter wise but like word but count is only like wise? fifty words. I don't I don't know I don't know I would feel I would feel janky about that one okay. only because it's undone it it always feels bad to leave you on something that becomes undone if that makes sense it's like dramatic Tell that blue ball Crossland from two years ago <laughs> I did that in. Two cases, maybe. <laughs> we ended on some brutal things. The one we can't talk about, but I, I would head nod and say, like, okay, fine, I'll give you that one. But, yeah. like, yeah. The other one was Pierce leaving us on a on a cliffhanger that I can that's, think of. That's true. Anyway, okay, moving on. Let's talk about what we're drinking. <laughs> we got to talk about what we're reading. Mm-hmm. What are you having? I don't have a name for it, and I'd like you to help me. Tiki Bullshit. What? It is tiki bullshit, but it's weird tiki bullshit. So it is two ounces of rum. Okay. One ounce of of green chartreuse. Okay. Half an ounce of green chartreuse. Half an ounce of grenadine. Half an ounce of simple syrup. One ounce of lime juice. All flash blended. A monk's vacation? That's absolutely already a thing. (laughs) Is it? I'm sure. I'm sure. Monk on vacation? And I'm sure it's also green chartreuse. I'm sure. Yeah, no, I'm not I'm not seeing anything there. I think you're okay. I think okay. Monks on Vacation hasn't been hasn't been taken. Monk on vacation or monk on break. Monk on break. We'll go with monk on break. Monk on an airship? I don't know. Monk on break, I think is better. Okay. Sounds tasty, how's it taste? I mean, exactly like it sounds. It's it works well. It's it's solid, a little bit herbal little bit sweet. I think I probably would have added some bitters. I think I would have gone for, I, I wish I would have gone for like an overproof rum or a higher proof rum just to make it, or n- not necessarily higher proof, but a more standout, like do a Jamaican rum sure. that really, really punches. Whereas this, it's, it's just listed as a Caribbean rum. So I'm not sure exactly what the, what the origin is, but it's pretty mild. It's good. It's solid, but it, it's it's pretty unassuming in standout flavors. The grenadine's entirely lost. I probably would have omitted the simple and just gone with the grenadine to cut back on the sweetness. More lime, maybe. I don't know. There's a lot of tweaking that I think it needs. It's fine. I like it, but it's nothing spectacular. Well, next time you'll come back with the copper mind or something like that. And it'll be a different take on the same thing. There we go. I mean, it sounds like you've got all the ingredients for something really tasty. It just didn't quite didn't quite iron it out on this go. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. What are your what are you chasing that with? I can't remember if I've had this one on the show before, but it's also from Lua Brewing Company, which I had last week. And it is Baby Blue Sedan. I don't think you did. So, but I remember Boysenberry, raspberry, blueberry, plum sour. Maybe I Yum. did. Maybe I did have it. I can't remember. But no, yeah, I, really, I think you just told me about it. Ah, uh, that could be. Yeah. Whatever it was. But Lua out of Des Moines, Illinois. <laughs> or not Illinois. Love Des Moines. Nice 
pastry sour. So they're not not pastry technically, but almost. <laughs> it's really it's a it's a thick sweeter sour. Thick uh, sweeter sour. Cool. Mm-hmm. That's what exciting. about you, What are you? I on? am having something kind of similar, you know, to some degree. We both went in the chartreuse direction and the monk direction as such. This is actually a known cocktail, so this is a quantified cocktail called the Spanish Monk from the 1950s. So what this is, is it's one and a half ounces of gin, a half ounce of green chartreuse, three quarter ounces lemon, half an ounce simple with an egg white in it. You dry shake it, and then you do a wet shake, cold shake, of course, just to get that emulsification going on get that texture super tasty i made it with the luna bloom gin so versus the usual like greenish hue that it would have it's it's like it looks like blue milk from like star wars which is that's pretty cool that's like lavender colored almost mm-hmm. more gray blue more of a gray blue yeah i i almost called it something violet because it does it does taste i imagine it tastes very similar but the Luna Bloom is like an Empress gin, so it is slightly different. It's a little bit, I wouldn't call it sweeter necessarily, but it's a different, it feels like a different herbal mixture than like a end of days usual or anything else, but nonetheless gotcha. still very tasty. Following that up, I'm having Dance Juice from Fanta Flora Brewing out of Charlotte. I had this when we were recording Tales of Conda the other day, but very good, unfiltered, double IPA fermented with local peaches and dry hopped with El Dorado, Mosaic, Montica, and Sabro Cryo hops. So many hops. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'm excited to maybe someday visit. <laughs> yeah, maybe someday. We've only been recording the show for how long? And you haven't, you haven't made it out here yet. Yeah, but I've been back a couple times, five times, six times, five since we started recording one, two, four times. <laughs> sure. Maybe five. We're, we're between four and five. But yeah, I'd have to nail down those dates anyway. Cool. All right. Perfect. OK, so we talked about this a little bit, but PJ, before we talk about the chapters, how do you feel about this week's reading? And I mean, this book kind of since we're we're done. I mean, this week's reading gets pretty wild. There's a, the, this is you his thing. Talking. This is his thing. I get that this is his thing. So fucking much happened. And we get a lot of rules. We get a lot of clarifications. We get a lot of twists and turns and, and double crosses. And it is exciting and intriguing. And I, I don't know. I enjoyed it. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I think last enjoyed. week was. I think last week is still my favorite of this book, but this week is very good. There are some points where I wish it was more fleshed out. Like I wish we had more time and more clarification, but instead we just get the high level information dump. But that's just a couple points. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot to be said about the approach to these novels and making them punchier and quicker and how that sometimes puts up their things you know at the sac at the at its feet to make it kind of feel like a almost an episode of the week sort of format is kind of the way that i would put these books which nothing wrong with that but it it yields a very different result in the end but mm-hmm. i don't think he goes so far as to undermine himself with any of the choices that are made which is a plus that's true there there are just so. some things I wish we had more explanation on, like the set in general. Yeah, I mean, 
that seems like a great thing to talk about as we go through this year. But I think that that is very clearly a mystery that's being teased for the final novel. So that's fair. Yeah. Episode okay. of the week. They're they're getting you on that hook. Now, if you read this book for the first time six years ago, you've been on that hook for a long time. You may have forgotten that that hook was there even. You've been this dangling. Was, this was due, I think, technically in like 2018 or something like that. 2019 originally for when he thought he was going to get to it. But instead, he went back to back on Stormlight Archive books. So mm-hmm. with a couple of other novels in the middle. But, you know, because he writes so damn much. All right. With that, we've got a lot to talk about this week, so we're going to get into our breakdown here. So starting it off, we have chapter 21. We open this week back on our ship, and with Alec giving advice on the inner workings of how these things propelled themselves, we see that a big that a big shove gets the whole process started and then gives and then everyone makes themselves lighter by storing their weight in one of these metal mines. It's kind of a fascinating moment that also gives us a taste of his own culture through the respect and reverence with which he treats Wax, just the constant use of the other names and like coming up with a new one each time. Even at one point says that he's not very good at this, which is a, a nice little comedic beat. But before he can get off another compliment, however, he he Wax jumps out of the ship, scoops upstairs and flies back, leaving the horses behind and it's one heck of an opening scene for the week. Like this is this is a big fucking chapter as well. Like there's there's a ton that happens, there's a ton to explore, and a lot shifts very quickly. I mean, just fuck the horses then, I guess, right? Like they've they've lived a certain lifestyle and now you're just gonna make them go live on their own in the in the wilderness. It's bullshit, man. <laughs> I so so deeply love this ship. And want to be on it. <laughs> the Wild. Yeah, I, I don't think that comes as much of a surprise. That mm-hmm. this, like, weird, cool technology is something that I'm gravitating towards. But if it is surprising for you, there you go. It's true. I thought the... I can't remember if I felt this way the first time I read through this. But Alex reverence of wax. I mean... It's entirely false, right? Here. But it doesn't necessarily seem that way right away. Like, that facade drops off pretty quickly. That, like, it's an obligation for him to address him this way. But he finds him fickle and doesn't actually, like, hold respect for him as a person. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess, like, he he has no reason to be giving out these titles, and it almost seems like a religious, quasi-religious sort of thing or a cultural thing. And, you know, it's not as though, as as I imagine it, there's a lot of, like, there's a lot that we have to unpack about about this society, and I think we get to do that next chapter when Marisi kind of has a larger conversation about it. But one of the, one of the big things is obviously... The fact that Alamancers are much more rare among the other Scadrians, um, among these masked folks, that they are revered because they would ultimately have to have like metals given to them for them to store, you imagine. And as such, that leaves them in a very important place in society. And you can imagine, I don't know, I imagine like some sort of quasi priesthood, although they probably aren't that self-important. They're probably raised to feel that important, but like not, I don't know. It's It's an interesting thing and so i think alec in this moment can't keep up the facade because he are, it already is a facade for him because he doesn't fully believe but then at the same time like wax hasn't stored any metals or done anything for you know his society necessarily so like why continue 
with that sort of proclamation. Right. Yeah. Versus in the end, he kind of gets embarrassed when he learns the Marisi is also a metallic one, a metabolic one, a, you know, however yeah. many different ways. Well, how many of them, like Wayne as well, he probably doesn't mm-hmm. realize. Um, well, he eventually does when Wayne opens up about it, but. Right. But I mean, right away, like right away, it's just wax that he is mm-hmm. aware of. But who else in that group is just the three of them and technically like milan is not the same so telson kind of not naturally but well we don't know that though like that's not revealed you know but it it is making me wonder about the interactions of these technologies like could you could you embed like could you create one of these pieces of one of these grenades whatever you want to call it through hemallergy that is very separate from what i was talking about that is a question we were talking about the religious reverence and i i like while i agree with you that that's interesting but but by extension then hemallergists would be just as important and maybe just as revered maybe I, I see where you're going. I think that they said that that was a bad thing at some point along. I'm pretty sure that he made some comment about like that being bad. I'm not 100 percent on that. I don't. I don't recall that. Remember, but I, I thought that he had reacted negatively to the spikes at some point because like or like it was a bad way of going about giving people powers because like you're you're diminishing it by doing that. Okay. So yeah, I I, I, I I can't recall. Yeah. Regardless, I don't know. I don't think so. I mean, maybe. I maybe. Maybe is the mm-hmm. best I can give. Yeah. All right. The other one there's a pretty clear-cut line to. There's like a moral th- there's a moral question there that we don't know like how they actually value morality outside of survival. So, as a mm. as a tenant. So we don't really have a picture of their society outside of this very limited scope. Right. Cool. So we go to Telson and there's a ton to say about her over the course of this week, but she's giving us plenty of uh, plenty of information about Ed Warren and directing us to our eventual destination of that second location and the weapon that we chatted about last week. The mythical bands of mourning. This comes up later in conversation as well. But, you know, what would you make of Telson upon, you know, initial pass when when you first gave this a go where you. Were you shocked? Were you analyzing her actions? You know, where were you at? First pass. I can't recall. I like, you gotta I, write these I, down, I, man, because that's gotta be that those are that those are interesting takes. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. But like there was there was a point where I was suspicious of her. But right away, I think it was like I was I took her at face value. I just don't know where that cross happened. I think sure. I wrote it in the notes somewhere that like ah uh, I can't I can't recall because there's so much like hindsight. There's so much in hindsight and on second reads. But she all of the information that she's giving is good, even with our like understanding that she's a a mole, I guess, at this point. All the information is still good, which is pretty true of everything that Edwarn always says to Wax as well. It's very rarely a time where anyone's outright lying to Wax. So I find that I find that to be interesting that it, it's true across both of those characters, but I don't know. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, it, it is interesting because it's the characters are never liars, which is, I mean, not 
they're withholding truth, which is in and of itself its own form of, you know, it depends on the person, but it's its own form of lying. And it is a very clever way of making those sort of things line up perfectly because, like, she wants to go there. Still, she wants to go see the weapons and she sees potentially her uncle out maneuvering him when in reality or her, excuse me, but in reality, the smartest thing to do is not to bring. Why would you bring wax there? Why wouldn't you like let Ed Warren figure it out? You know, Hmm. unless she doesn't really unless she like she really doesn't care about Ed Warren at all. And she's just using wax as a means to get to the bands. Yeah, I mean, I guess if she thinks that he has some kind of important information, but we know that he doesn't really have anything that's unique over the lead that Edwarn has to get here, you know? No, but... Plus, Edwarn has the key to get in, and he has the ability to get in, because he can... He's a... Like, to me, there's a big flaw in Telson's plan. Yeah. Versus just going she and She doesn't him. need him. No, she doesn't need wax at all. The set don't need wax. Matter of fact, they've said many times that he's more of a problem and a nuisance. So why would you bring him close? Unless it's the closeness to well, this they they joined up before they got close to Alec, so that's not really a motivator. It could. Just I think be, Alec ultimately is the reason that they don't that like everyone settles on going in addition to the other pushes because there's chance that the crew is there and other like I I get why the the people end up going there. My question is why didn't Telson push against it? Because it feels like there's a very natural point for her to an egress here for the set to be set up to do things successfully in the future and to take the ship maybe. But Wax like he's there to take the ship anyway like. Edwarn is there, you know, like... I mean, the ship that they're on. The tiny one? Yeah. I mean, but they have the big... They they assume, I guess, the big one is there. But, okay, okay. That That is that is a, a... It is the only working ship, so far as we are aware at this point. So, that's fair. I don't think it's a good reason, but... Yeah. It's a reason. Mm-hmm. You're right. The, the, that plan does seem very flawed, and I'm not sure what to make of that. Right. The only rationale that I can make is that she do- she doesn't trust Ed Warren and sees this as a potential power move for him to replace her as head of the set or some such. Which we know he is thinking about. Yeah, angling to do. So that could be. Yeah, that's fair. Okay. I mean, <clears throat> something to ponder at the very least thinking about Telson. So we move to Marisu's perspective and ponder kind of the 4X view of the sky here as we are in the ship floating over the land and the interesting intersection between knowing that harmony was real and believing in another faith despite that. It's not that it's necessarily a conflict between the two so much as it is picking the person you idolize, making it more of a philosophical question of sorts. You know what I mean? Like this is this is kind of a tough thing to pick at where it's like, I believe that that God is real, but I... Don't care. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I figured you'd dig into this a little bit because it does scream of philosophy over religion at this point. And they do go hand in hand, and I guess it's not entirely divorced from it, but it's much more of a philosophical question and decision-making process than it is a religious one but if you believe both are real you still have to choose one to like model your life after you know Mm -hmm. primarily you can do both you can take take things from both of them but i mean that there are two existing structures to work within and it's easier to just choose one of them as opposed to trying to forge your own like intermediary 
So, yeah, right. We've seen Sazed try to do that. I mean, in the previous story, that's been that was his yeah. whole conflict of faith is either a finding the true faith or b being this intersection of all of these faiths and believing disparate components can work together. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it it picks at something interesting, but it doesn't do more in the moment than like it knows that. It, almost from from Marisi's perspective and from Brandon's perspective, it's like he knows that the scab is there and he wants to pick at it to get what's underneath, but like he knows that it's it may not result in what he wants. You know, it, it may not be helpful or propulsive for the story in the right way, and so he doesn't he doesn't pick at it here. But I'll tell you what, I would I would appreciate a little bit more of a an exposit on the the thinking in comparison. It doesn't necessarily need to be here in this immediate moment, but you can understand why it's evoked here. I mean, this is a fantastical revelatory scene for someone who hasn't been able to be up here in the sky right it is like the first airplane ride for for a lot of these folks <laughs> it's the first i mean for an entire our entire understanding of the world and the population mm-hmm. that's that is what it is you know yeah right so we always of knew course there we- were others <clears throat> you know you you did key into that southern continent thing in the original couple of episodes. So it was explicit. It talked about no, it. No, I know, I know. But like, it it was rather. I said the first couple. Uh, you keyed into it. I think it was at the end of the Hero of Ages is when yeah. Sazed mentions it, or Vin mentions it when she turns in. It's I think one it's or Vin. the other. I think it's it Vin. might be Vin. Yeah. What's that on the the pole? And then there's another line about life at the poles. At yeah, one, life only possible at the poles, or something like that. So, mm-hmm. which is interesting when you consider that, like, the thing here is metal and, like, magnets and poles and life only being possible at the extremes. Yeah, but magnetic poles and very different, axis very different. poles very, are very different. Like, ours yes, 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 yes. kind of line up, but that's not necessarily the truth. Definitely speaking of this more of an allegory metaphor, not a, not an actual gotcha okay it's 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 an interesting thing to pick at again but it does it does not line up with any real scrutiny Mm -hmm. much better as a metaphor (laughs) true but of course marisi is contemplating these things while feeling like she's on her deathbed as milan sticks her fingers into (laughs) her and is healing her with some like absolutely crazy utilization of chondra physiology it's something that we have we hadn't even like speculated on that much up until this point that there was like potential use here for chondra to be healers this is this is wild and the explanation is great i was so surprised by this (laughs) Mm-hmm. Like, like you said, we hadn't speculated on it. I had no idea anything like this was coming. The mechanics make sense, which is super satisfying to like be presented with something that's just there and totally makes sense that it works and just never cross my mind. <laughs> so I appreciated that. But this is where we get the the am I going to die comment, right? Which good joke good joke for milan it is a very good joke yeah you're gonna die and so marisi resigns herself to death in this moment even though it's like barely she's like no you're fine you're just in shock and pain no i didn't mean now not today (laughs) right just eventually 
It's a, it's a great moment. But then we go to what ends up being a really big chunk of this chapter, where Marisi is conversing with Alec and really splitting this world wide open with various implications here, as well as introducing us to this other society. There's the Sovereign, the society at large underneath him, the tribes, the hunters with the masks that fused to their face who came before. There's the cold. There is the Catasandra, which is like basically the Ice Age for these people. There is sort of their reverence for the metallic arts as they see them. There are so many different directions to go that we have to talk about but i guess which direction do you want to run in first i want to go into sort of the physiology sure because we got an understanding from the lord ruler that he had changed the the human physiology to match the changes of the world so they could thrive in those environments and this tells me that Sazed either couldn't do that or just didn't for these people and allowed them to just be uncomfortable in the in the now colder atmosphere, which seems weird I, to me. I definitely agree with you. It does seem weird to a certain degree. I think that I believe it's even textual that he did change the physiology and the end of Hero of Ages. He, he altered everyone to be more responsive, to be able to eat the new stuff and like changed the way that allomancy is given, the way that snapping happens. Like there, there were a lot of things that shifted at the but end not- here where he messed with people's genetics not their ability to survive in the in the climate yeah and and my pitch for you on an idea as to why is because he's harmony right he's a combination of ruin and preservation and so this is ruin one area preserve the other Hmm. that that shifts all of the decision making of harmony entirely what do you mean i think because I, i i was under the impression that it was all about it wasn't so segmented like that. Like the, the point of humanity is that it is a blend of preservation and ruin, not just like, I'm going to put my preservation over here and my ruin over there. Oh no, no, no. I'm, I'm suggesting that it's a blend, but I'm saying like, if he's allocating preservation to change the world and to do all of these things and make this dramatic shift for some of the people to set up one society to prosper, the, he would also be taking that away potentially from somewhere else as an equate as a balance on the equation. I can see that argument. I don't like it, but I can see it. It's definitely speculation. I'll tell you that. Like there's no, you're, you are just about as far as I am. So got one few days. (laughs) Yeah. I'll be (laughs) whole book back. And the lost metal comes out. Yeah. (laughs) Actually it's out right now, but for everyone listening to this, but. Yeah, fair point. Fair point. Um, yeah, so I, I mean, I do, I do agree with you. I think that it is, it is surprising that they're kind of left there, and then you know that they're put through these very brutal circumstances and situations, almost as though they were completely ignored. And which also pushes against the like that argument about ruin being placed there. If he, if he's just ignoring them and not changing anything, that's doing neither. I'm not necessarily saying that he's ignoring them. I'm saying, well, but ignoring them is they're degrading because he's ignoring them and didn't adjust their physiology. So like that is still ruin getting its peace, preserving their physiology, but they're dying. (laughs) (laughs) What? (laughs) Complicated point. I wanted to bring up relating to this a little bit. The idea that potentially this is just another, another theory, right? 
potentially could those people be considered a control group for technology and development because they've been separate for so long. And so he treats them like a separate control group. He gives one group this like flourishing society to see if they push forward and gives the other one very harsh environmental circumstances to see how they develop. You think Sazid's doing the scientific method on this motherfucker? Of course. (laughs) (laughs) I, I think that also is a possibility. I think, <laughs> I think that is I, distinctly I probable. Yeah, I could see it. Or, or they're under the influence of Trell, and he doesn't have the ability to actually make changes over them. There, there definitely is something to be said, especially with the way that this ends. And then you, we also have the perspective. I mean, we're talking about this and we're speculating about things that we do have some answers on as the story continues. Right, just a couple. And and there's this note here specifically that we kind of get an answer to in the end, but we'll we'll pick your brain on that specifically when we get there. There's the note here about the sovereign and the misaligning time frame, 300 years versus 330, which I think it's kind of made a big deal out of as they proceed kind of through this beat and talking about the history of the society on the whole. What did you what do you think about the sovereign? What's your perspective or thought process on on the sovereign? And who you think they are. I mean, that's that's a place to start. Fuck, dude. <laughs> I think it's the Lord Ruler. Okay. There are hints made in that way. And nothing, like, denied. Like, it, it feels like it's almost confirmed, right? In conversation. I don't know. Does it feel confirmed to you? Well, yeah. But I might be misremembering it. I think there's more to talk about. And I'm excited to talk about it when we get there but i wanted to pick your brain on the idea and then when we get to the point i'll be like remember when we were talking about the sovereign and then we'll start to piece together the other side of what i think the mystery is i really think that this is a fascinating question and that in the end we do get the answer here and there's a couple of pieces that are intentionally misleading and our characters key into them as well that it seems as though this isn't the lord ruler but that this could be Kelsier. Yes, it could be. We've got more I, to talk about, so we don't we don't need to hash that out quite yet. But your initial reaction to the my initial reaction to that would be no, I don't think so. Simply because of the reverence of the bands of mourning, the statues of the Lord Ruler, the presumably. statues of the Sovereign. I thought it. I thought I thought it was more explicit. Everyone keeps saying the Lord Ruler repeatedly throughout this section because they all assume it's the Lord Ruler. Okay, right. That's so. Like the book is trying to convince you that it's the Lord Ruler because that's who the characters believe it is for a very long time. They're looking for the bands of mourning. They believe it to be these bracers, and then in the end, it's the tip of the spear. Right, is the bands. That's where all the power is. It's the spearhead. Fuck, dude. I don't know, man. I want to think it's the Lord Ruler, but you... <laughs> that's a good point. All, all told, I mean, I think that there's definitely something there. There, I, If it was the Lord Ruler, that'd be crazy. The Lord Ruler just fades into the background during the the Cassandra uh, and everything else. He's just like, I'm just going to chill in a village somewhere for a bit. I'll see you guys later. <laughs> like, you guys can handle this shit from here on out. I'm done. And then decides to walk south. But more more mm-hmm. to say on this. We'll talk about this more as, a, as we proceed because there are other components and hints and things that I think point us in that direction. But. What what about the technology of these metals and the working of the pucks metal mines and the definitions of inve- investiture necrosil the interplay here multiple metal mine metals in one metal mine composing you know the the thing for ferrochemy that allows for this to happen what do you think of this added 
complication on on ferrochemi. It's intriguing, to say the least. It, it's complicated and is intricate and it's difficult, you know? Like, mm-hmm. Understandably, we don't get a super solid framework on all of it because that's insane. Like, there's mm-hmm. so much to it. But I think I'm going to, to hold my belief that this is entirely a separate metallic art. I know, I know you had made the distinction before last week, I think, separating this from allomancy and ferrochemy and hemallergy. But this feels very much like hemallergy to me. In, so in specific, its, yeah, Go ahead. In, it, just in, in the way that it interacts with other metallic arts, you know? Well, yes. Okay. So I, I understand exactly where you're, what you're getting at, especially when we talk about the bands, the bands become more complicated because they stretch beyond the, the means here that we assume that we have access to, because these are ferrochemical strictly. Right. And we get a note later on the cube itself. And that's why I was kind of trying to draw the delineation is that the cube is powered by a different metal at metal. And so that's why that one to me felt like technology, but I couldn't exactly break that down because we didn't know the metal inside of it yet. And sort of the dangers they ran of getting it wet and it becoming explosive and everything else. Mm. Um, but this to me still feels like ferrochemy with a wrinkle on it that it requires really good forging technique. So it requires advancement in technology in order for it to become, you know, something more. It does, but it introduces more mechanics and more, powers more rules does it why 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 is this different from hemallergy because it's still using the base rules of ferrochemy so is hemallergy hemallergy is stealing those abilities this is just combining them this is just adding them and allowing somebody else to use them that doesn't have those powers intrinsically but that's because of identity which is a ferrochemical ability it's a ferrochemical like it is a fair it is something on the ferrochemical table and so it is access to that that gives that capability it's not stealing it from someone else it is someone else putting or emptying the identity from a metal and then having it be blank so that someone else can use it but okay the the identity piece still has Uh to come into play with hemallergy though correct you have to steal someone's identity and put their soul into something split the soul basically yeah Mm mm-hmm which and it's still a separate art correct because it requires that you take someone's soul to do so it requires death and but blood. but but the powers themselves are the same like see see where i'm coming from like it's i still, understand it, it feels like a parallel to hemallergy that can also apply to ferrochemy i think okay maybe here's here's a useful distinguish something that i would consider distinguishing i think that the metallic arts are like three this this is kind of how i imagine it they're like three periodic tables right we've got the allomantic table of which has some very strict rules it has the strictest rule set of them all with some just a little bit of bendiness with compounding that's like it's bend factor to some degree so you've got allomancy as one you've got hemallergy as another and you've got ferrochemy as its own right so you've got the three that kind of rotate around hemallergy is dependent on a couple of things it's dependent on killing someone it's dependent on spiking the other the receiving person in the right place and the time between as well as some other stuff that hasn't been fully revealed yet so i thinking of them as those separate tables i think is really useful this specifically when it comes to the pucks is just multiple like i can i i entirely see where you're coming from 
but it is still just Ferrochemy. We just now have an understanding of identity. But why is why is hemallergy not just allomancy? Because in that in that, in that well, regards, you know, it's not well. It's not just allomancy. A because you have to. So intrinsically, the magic system is tied to someone's spirit, someone's soul. Right? Like either of the two magics are tied to someone's soul. Hemallergy bridges that gap by taking someone's soul and then giving it to someone else. The distinction there between that and what's happening here with Nicrosil Ferrochemy is that they're removing identity from the metal mind to make it accessible to everyone. It's still limited to the ferrochemical table. You can also steal ferrochemy with hemallergy. The art of hemallergy is the metal in which you use to steal. Because you have, like, iron steals certain abilities. Steel steals certain abilities. You need to use a certain metal to steal certain things from people. So um, I, I guess the the thing that would convince me the most, one way or the other, is if a ferrochemist also used this with their own ferrochemical ability. Like how bronze, like, like Vin's copper, or Vin's bronze earring, allowed her to do more with bronze because she had both Mistborn abilities and it was expanded upon by the hemallergy. If there's an expanding of abilities through Nicrosil, if you already have that ferrochemical ability, that would be interesting to me. But that that's a thing that hemo- hemallergy expands the capabilities as well if you already have something. It, it's like a tweak because it's not identical to your own power. I understand what you're saying. The problem with what you're saying is, though, is that we're hemallergy is an intersection of the arts right compounding is an inter can be an is actually an intersection of the arts as well and this ferrochemical ability is just ferrochemy it is it is strictly like because identity is locked in on the table and that's that's the complication for me that makes it where it cannot be something else because it is on its own table it is it is defined as a part of it, but it it's is also one of the metal mines. What? It's also allomancy. I mean, in the bands, yes, the bands get complicated, and we don't understand why the bands work. Okay, we don't. That's that is the one thing we don't understand why the mm-hmm. bands grant allomancy at all, which is where this becomes a giant question mark. Where maybe it could be, yeah. but as described, these pucks okay. are strictly ferrochemical in appearance. Fair. That's that's the thing. Like you don't need. There isn't some bonus knowledge that would change the way that this interacts, if that makes sense. Right. Okay. The only, the, the only like shift, the biggest shift is like, they can only get three to work in one, right? Is one of the big things that he talks about, I think in the next chapter in chapter 22, but that, that prevents, you know, to stuff prevents them from going to four, which I wonder, cause that's, that's also the same breaking point as hemallergy, with more than three spikes can't put in without harmony's control complete control over you so i wonder if there's something unique about the number there okay some god factor this is truly speculation pj for the record we again are just about at the same spot so like there's there's a lot of like huh i've also yeah okay so we were just off air for a little bit talking about this a little bit on our own and we had some stuff to sort out but i wanted to 
chat a little bit about something that we had kind of touched on and you had brought up specifically about the bands of morning. So if you wouldn't mind repeating what you had just said a second ago so that we can use this as a jumping off point. So I I think the fact that the bands of morning seem to follow the same technology Mm -hmm. and work the same way as these discs do tells me that these discs aren't strictly external ferric me, but the fact that it applies to Alamancy somehow in some way makes this a lot more of a complicated system. So I think to clarify, the discs are all external ferrochemy they're specifically said as such that they're like two layers of metals they can very clearly see the nicrosyl layer and then whatever the other metal is that they're using so that's defined right so i feel like the discs themselves as it applies are ferrochemy only that yes. said yes, thinking I about agree. the bands i i just wanted to clarify because like that can get you know I, muddy i'm just saying that they're operating things. under a system that can do more than that I think there's an argument with investiture that everything can do more than it appears to on the surface level. So, yes, vaguely, absolutely. No one no one knows the depths of each of these different magic systems. That said, I wanted to posit something that I thought when we were running through this kind of off air, which is we were tr- we were speculating on how Alamancy could be imbued on these, right? And how you could use Alamancy with the Bands of Mourning given its stasis as a spearhead, right? And it came to my imagination that is there a potential that this is a hemallergic spike and that there are 16 different layers of those 16 metals that have all been stolen and imbued onto the spike to give access to alamancy for the person who's holding it in addition to ferrochemy. But that changes the way hemallergic spikes work then. It's not implanted, which does raise the question of like, is there some, is it because you have hemallergy and ferrochemy working together? Is that why it might work? Because we haven't seen a ferrochemical metal mine become a hemallergic spike so far as we're aware. You know, not at all. I think technically the Lord Ruler has one, but like we don't really know. I don't think we have it all, though. Okay. There's, I should say, there's potential for the Lord Ruler to have had one, but we don't know. But I don't think anyone else has had a ferrochemical metal mind spike in them. Oh, what if... So could that be? Miles 100 lives. Sure. What if he had a gold hemallergic spike? So we do know... And used it as a metal mind. What would happen? I believe the answer there is that he's not keyed to it with the identity, so he can't use it. However, could you... <laughs> this is where PJ, this is why the words of Brandon exist is because people have these questions specifically about the magic system and some of the things like this and some of the interactions. And this is why those things exist, which is a big part of the conversation and why, you know, there, there are some other answers to these questions that have been asked or posed about other systems. And could you use an unkeyed ferrochemical metal mind with a different magic system to capture some other kind of magic and like use it. And he just keeps raffling them constantly. So it seems very clear that there is some, some bullshit going on with the ability to, uh, to manipulate identity, which seems incredibly important in the long run. That's crazy. So that said, I think the problem with, with what we said is that you cannot burn something that isn't keyed to you. And anything hemallergic is not keyed to you. It is keyed to, the person that you stole it from 
And so you cannot burn someone else's soul, basically. You can access it, but you can't burn it. Or it would have a very mm-hmm. strange effect. We don't know what that... Like, I think that was the answer that was given was it would have a very strange effect and we wouldn't know. It might splinter your soul further by tearing into theirs. So... I want to I want to find out. I really do. I know. I, I feel like that's something that will be explored. It seems like one of those very tangible, tangible bits to talk about. But... Mm-hmm. I uh, yeah. that that I guess that's my hypothesis potentially unless it's something completely off the wall for the bands of mourning themselves. I think that the bands of mourning is technically 16 hemallergic spikes. Okay. I thought it was 32 though. Why would it be 32? I thought there were 32 powers. There are, but why would it be 32? There's 16 elementic abilities per and 16 ferrochemical. There are two bands. What? And they think that they were melted into one, but I think there's two. We'll get into that okay. later. Never mind. The bands, to be clear, are actually a spearhead, right? No, I think, actually, I think one of the bands is a spearhead. But we have access to all of the powers in the one band. All the powers that they know about. <laughs> there's a like, lot of powers that we I, I, I understand where you're going with this. Yeah, I understand where you're going with this. The spike through the eye that he that Wayne took the spearhead from... Mm-hmm. I think is the other band. You think the spike is? Yeah. The rest of the statue was wood, except for the belt. I think it was wood. Maybe it was stone. I think it was wood, though. Except for the belt, which was aluminum. Presumably aluminum. Yeah. We'll get into why I think it was pre- presumably aluminum. and what we can, we can talk about that in a second. So it's nice that we get this in kind of at the end of the, you know, at the end of the episode yeah. before the book comes out and people can all read the book over the three days that they're going to have a lead on us in this episode coming out and be like, Oh man, those guys were so wrong and X, Y, Z and X, Y, Z and ABC and fuck those guys. I'm never listening to them again. All right. <laughs> with that, let's get into chapter 22 in chapter 22. We're back with Marisi and we get some further explanation as to the working of the translation medallion, as well as some words that just don't function. This is a chapter written for rules we've already talked about a lot of the rules themselves in the course of the last conversation as as that sort of happened but we also get some other words we get the word that doesn't translate jagenmeier which seems to also match up and mirror with the story of ruin and preservation that alec tells a little bit later in the associative gods within their religion so there's another word here that doesn't translate to god but it translates to something else so what this section does for me, understanding like that accent, well, language, first of all, mm-hmm. is tied to location, not culture. Like th- their language is hard coded into where they're from. So yes. is their accent in a more detailed way. Grounded fashion. Which, yeah. Which makes Wayne's ability to mirror accents. So much more like rules heavy and intricate and like real the way he's able to manipulate people into thinking that he's from somewhere because of the accent mm-hmm. and how particular he is about them makes so much more sense than what I was thinking to begin with, because for them it is hard coded and those differences do actually matter. On like a, on a rules level. (laughs) I have to go give this dog a treat. Otherwise she's going to freak the fuck out. Yes, they do 
absolutely i think they absolutely matter on a rules level and i think that that's something that's very interesting this gets into the very fun cross-world conversation that happens with the cosmere but i don't think you technically know enough yet okay damn it but there's some fun stuff that we can talk about regardless which is like if you think about the so spoilers for elantris skip forward just a little bit here if you think about the aeon door right it was keyed very specifically on location and with a specific people of whom have specific abilities so Mm -hmm. you've got a key on the dominion that they're over and then you also have a key on identity because they had to be selected as this this people to have like the subset that's a very interesting parallel here that happens with with this and sort of yeah. the way the language works. Yeah, it does. There's also the roughs, which have their own accent. And the fact that Wayne slips into that accent, I wonder if it's more meaningful than just headspace. If, if there's actual like meaning behind his, his change in accent based on action or based on intention or anything like that. It'd be, I don't have a a leg to stand on at this point yet, but I'd like to see that explored more as a mechanic. I, I, I'm going to, I'm going to go ahead and put it out on a limb. I don't think it's going to be necessarily explored as a mechanic, but I think it does make Wayne an incredibly unique character where he's able to recognize those differences and then lean into them where he can basically manipulate something that is attached with, someone's identity right like we know that identity is so important because it's on the ferrochemical table and the ability to imitate even superficially someone's identity is useful and cosmere adjacent as far as the sort of socio magic system goes i'm wondering if it's unique as well it does seem to be i mean you know it's it's him and milan that are able to do it and then and then there's wax and the roughs accent so mm-hmm. presumably that's just like you pick up an accent when you live there, which is, I mean, how it works, but it's not as, as written into rules. If he's introducing another hard system. <laughs> I don't think so, man. I think that Scadrial is as complicated as it needs to be. As yeah. it needs to be, but as it could be, it could be more complicated. No, I mean, it can be like... <laughs> I just I want to I want to break your brain open for just half a second and you're going to forget this. So it's never going to matter. Minor spoilers for Stormlight. Imagine 12 magic systems. Cool. That's where we're at. So moving on. (laughs) Well, right now we have three, maybe four. And if the accent thing comes the way I want it to go, maybe five. (laughs) (laughs) And I won't say that you're too far off because I think that we have the same assumption to some degree, which is that very clearly Trell has a medal, right? Yeah. Very clearly by the end of this, Trell has a medal. We knew that at the end of the last book. It seemed that there was a spike that was outside of the chart. Who's to say that's not another god medal, like Atium and everything else? That doesn't rule it out from being another god. And I, I, I'm not suggesting that Trell isn't potentially another preservation. But I do want to delineate that there is absolutely no way that Ferrochemy or Allomancy are anything but preservation. Hemalurgy is absolutely ruined. There could be another magic system from Trell. I'm not going to discount that. That could be real. But it is neither Allomancy nor Ferrochemy. 
Those are okay. very clearly and closely tied. Hmm. Textually. Fine. All right, let's keep I going. That one's, <laughs> that one's very clear. Okay, so. <clears throat> Jagenmeier. Jagenmeier, Jagenmeier. Do you have any thoughts on what Jagenmeier could mean before we completely move on? Obviously, we think it's kind of a stand-in for God. Jagen. I don't, I don't, I don't know. I'm trying to draw okay. from, like, Norse stuff, but. I, I think that's entirely well real to pull from. I don't, I don't I know th- it well enough to make those actual like extrapolations. So that's totally fair. I don't think it is supposed to be direct, but it's obviously evoking Norse ideology a little bit. Mm-hmm. I love as well last week that you said Russian or like you, you basically I, leaned in with him saying that he has a Russian accent and I, I, I had, I didn't have time to listen last week. Um, I don't think I did. I thought I said I, he had the same accent as, the obsidians which is scandinavian oh you may have you may have i might be i might be misattributing that for some reason i thought that you said russian and i was like hmm it's it is very i could have said that by accident but like i was trying to make the connection to the obsidians that could be it you may have said obsidian and then russian and then like it's kind of like russian or whatever and then you breeze it off and moved into the next thing and i don't think i'd comment i mean scandinavia and russian like they're they're right next to each other. They're similar. They're, they're similar, they're, but very harsher languages because they don't share language roots. But they don't. Yeah, they don't. But yeah. like, do and their don't. people are it's not German. Similar, <laughs> right? Well, cold. I mean, and in, in culture, cold-hearted, and yeah. Speaking of, if you are Scandinavian listening to this, hi, I am also fairly Sam. Scandinavian. Uh, Hello, PJ is also fairly Scandinavian, but we are Americans, so we escaped the frigid north and we did pj still chooses to live in the frigid north actually he just moved to a different frigid north and his family did so i mean as it goes okay continuing onward the two of them continue to have this conversation and compare normal boats to airboats and it's kind of a funny moment he's like lowlander boats or lowland boats or something like that it's a funny moment in the fact that they like teach class in the ship is very interesting because it's this it's this sort of highbrow thing to be this pilot of an airship and to be this person that's in the sky that's kind of a fun distinction how insulting of marisy to assume that he does deckhand work on a boat (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. to refer to a ship like this as a boat is insulting which i find very funny because so much of science fiction declares something like this a boat you know like anything that would fly in the sky is is a boat it's an airship and so it's treated very much the same but this is really kind of actually delineating and trying to create separation between the two to say that they wouldn't act and behave the same which is interesting it is but it still operates like a boat I 100% agree. I'm just saying that the book is trying to, that like Brandon and the society in law in general is like valued skyships very differently. Which is super uh, strange because reality, like the way reality works is like <laughs> planes are more like cars than they are like boats, right? They're mm-hmm. more like buses. Right. And we, we can, we can draw parallels there as opposed to all of science fiction which it makes sense to make the boat parallels in in science fiction technology and you you kind of make that parallel with spacefaring things as well but i don't i don't quite get why that's the because i i guess cuz they can go wherever they want they're not confined yeah, to roads i 
I assume that's part of why in a, in a similar way where it's like you're free of pre fabbed trails, right? In the same way that a boat is for the most part. And you can turn on an axis more or less. Like you can't actually like just stop and pivot, you know, 360 degrees without depending on the propulsion, whatever. La di da. But you've got more freedom of movement in general, which I think is probably why that's compared more closely. Yeah. That's true. And they follow with a massive caveat here. They follow similar laws of physics however water is very complicated because of friction mass and displacement and everything else so like they follow very similar rules Mm -hmm. that's a very good point yeah just a different how would you put it like different degrees of difficulty i guess like (laughs) water is a lot harder than air is (laughs) that's obvious understatement (laughs) yeah yeah right Well, especially because I said harder, like, yes, it is harder functionally, but like there's it's it is also more difficult. Okay, moving on. We get more on a couple of components that we started to talk about in the chapter prior. The deniers of the masks whom are dangerous as well as this new metal that explodes when wet et metal, as it's called, and that it seems to be a power source. It powers the primer cube slash elementic grenade that we had talked about before. I mentioned this a little bit early, but this was kind of that delineation for me where I wasn't able to really chat about it too specifically last week, but it's like it, it seems like there's a there is something different between a metal being used and something being activated that defines it as separate from magic, which is mm-hmm. like event science, magic and science are very closely linked in history. So eventually magic becomes science as we appear to think of it. So, you know, eventually it's all going to become technology. It's all going to become other stuff. But for now, right, we're still riding that line. So there are a few, but in our world, in our physics, do you know what metals explode when they are exposed to water? I don't know the metals that explode. I know a couple of, I know some other chemical reactions that aren't water, but yeah. So sodium is one. Okay. And potassium is another. <laughs> oh, pat- potassium. I actually did kind of know. Hmm. Interesting. So if this is potassium, <laughs> is this- I was is fucking this a banana onto metal? something. <laughs> <laughs> with the banana shit. <laughs> Potassium is a fascinating metal in general, but that is funny. I I had not considered the sort of danger of getting I'm assuming powderized potassium, right? Most of the metallic like well, the actual pure meta- yeah. pure potassium. Oh, pure potassium. Okay, yeah, cuz so a lot of like them pure sodium will explode yes. when it gets submerged in water as well. But and how cool would it be if this is potassium? If that metal is potassium and bananas actually become tangentially important to the story. <laughs> <laughs> How would they grow bananas in the frigid winter environments? You know, though, like harmony can change the grow mode banana mode of banana. <laughs> you <laughs> all right they chat about some things that are resolved by the end but rationalize that there's going to have to be some trading of information and technology here in order to win the governor over on their decision to head to the temple in the end as a group you know everyone kind of rallies in wax is like interceding inside of this conversation eventually after they're you know having it for a while and there's going to be compromise to come and this is kind of setting the groundwork that like 
this is earth shattering. This is Scadrial breaking again in a very different way than previously. Um, yeah, like I, I don't even know how you'd go about breaching this conversation, let alone doing it like while you're with this new race of people on this new, wildly new technology to your people. Like, how do you just feel open enough to like talk about the <laughs> the politics of? All of it. I would feel very awkward about that. Um, but maybe that's just my personal issues shining through. I don't know. <laughs> I, yeah. Can you imagine trying to negotiate for your entire people like on a whim? This is very to me. My first thought was very similar to like Mars attacks where it's like suddenly you're put in charge of like a population. You're like, I'm not the leader. I you what? No, I can't. I'm not responding. You can't put me in charge of the <laughs> of negotiating the alien invasion. And it's very similar, I think, for Alec, who is way out of his depth on this stuff, despite being a very experienced pilot and a very interesting We don't know if he's a around. very experienced pilot. He's the only pilot we've met. It's fair. He seems to be an experienced pilot. He's confident. Maybe he's the shittiest pilot <laughs> in their entire race. <laughs> And it's just like a total false confidence. Oh, no. I feel so bad for Alec now. Yeah. So they decide, of course, to go to the temple. We already talked earlier about the dueling problems with like Lessie's, you know, where where she actually lands on the spectrum and why why she's going there. But they do decide to. And so we move there. We end the chapter with having seen suit, having beaten them to the site. And yeah, it's just fast motherfucker, dude. Yeah. (laughs) That. That's some bullshit. Him getting there first. But I, I suppose he has access to steel pushing. So presumably he's flying there. And- there is that. There there are some questions about how everyone gets there. But I think that this is something that the set had planned on going and we're already moving towards previously. Because he's been off screen the whole time. You know, he hasn't been in this book. We've been like surmising where he is. and We've been kind of following the path. But they've right, already but- set out for this expedition. Texturally, they talked about how they'd probably be a couple days ahead because they can go straight, like a straight line there. They, yes, they assumed that, but it's not as though they left at the same time to go there, if that makes sense. Fair. Good point. Like, suit, as we as we saw suit chatting with Kelsina through the radio, effectively, there's nothing to say that he wasn't there already or that he wasn't approaching on like a boat or something like that. He wasn't in the city. He wasn't in Dulcing when we got there. So he it may have only been a couple about, of days, but it could have been longer. Like it could have been longer. We just don't know. Yeah, I, I thought they talked specifically about suits location versus where they were. And he had a lead that they knew about. Uh-huh. But they presumed that they would still get there ahead of him. Um, yeah, I, I think that that would but, be rational if it was only him. But the fact that it's also this whole crew of like people and whatnot, it's unlikely that all of them are, you know, steel pushing Alamancers. Right. And like, can you imagine deploying a legion of steel pushing like hemologists and the amount of steel that you would need to give those people to be able to like fill up their vials and just like keep going and deal with the cold extended like yeah it'd be a lot but well it's not they're untenable. not particularly cold that's the thing they're still sensitive to it like it this is very cold for wayne and wax and the other people but like it's not nearly as bad as it is for alec 
Right. Okay. I didn't get that feeling off of it for some reason. Like it, it felt. Hmm. Our, our interactions with the, like how cold it was, was always through Alex's perspective. Wayne not, talks not, about not his it point too, of view, though. But him talking yeah. about how cold it was. Right, right. But Wayne talks about it too. And I think Brandon does a really good job of saying like everyone is passing around heating medallions to keep themselves warm because it is cold. And it's colder up in the air. Like he describes it as cold up in the air because naturally it would be as you move into the atmosphere and you're flying And there's higher. the hot chocolate. Uh, yeah. And there's the hot chocolate. But Wayne specifically mentions when they get to the ground that like this is snow unlike any that he's ever seen and that it's like it's not just like crunchy or it's it's not like malleable compact or like just a crunchy layer it is like stepping into something that is like dense and sharp and like dangerous almost like there's this other this there's this otherworldly sense with something like snow which to me reads like oh you you fucking like it's it's negative 20 out cool like this is this is a bad day but like it's not the end of the world you know mm. but that not everyone has the the Minnesotan experience or otherwise. So that's true. I, I read that as like, this is unnatural for them. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. But that said, like my rational brain was like, Oh, a bunch of pansies, huh? So with that, we go into chapter 23 and wow, do we have nine more chapters to talk about? So I have to ask, when did you figure out that Telson was a bad guy? Potentially for me, I remember this happening like a combined with everything else and just went, nah, couldn't be like it was, it was somewhere in the realm of between this chapter and the next chapter that it like really tipped me off. But I remember specifically this moment with Wayne in which we're in his perspective and she's like hanging out of the side, basically being this flag in the sky and the way that they kind of like knock the thing out at the end of the chapter being like a big tell for me. Mm-hmm. We we talked about this before. I don't know if that a stayed in a little bit. I think for me, I don't remember if it was this chapter or, or what, but whenever she was talking about having dinner with their uncle, Mm-hmm. For whatever reason, that stuck out in my mind because it didn't feel like the kind of prisoner relationship she was she was presenting it to be. Mm-hmm. I think that that's the the most specific like point that I could that I could uh, direct you to, but it was I think more gradual than a single point. Yeah, I do agree with you. I think that it was gradual, but I think this was the point where I became skeptical, if that makes sense. Because I think up right. until this point, you can you can believe Telson for the most part on her word mm-hmm. as someone who has been a prisoner and everything else. And like her actions make sense logically. I think Telson is incredibly well written, by the way, easily. The deception still hit me when she shot when she shoots wax in the end. Same. Because you don't expect that even because like that is like, a breaching of moral grounds that like wax wouldn't do to his sister, like in theory until he's shot upon, then he shoots. But, you know, yeah, it it feels even though I felt like she was being deceptive and was maybe on Edward's side, I didn't mm-hmm. think that she was strictly against wax like a point. murderer. Like you yeah. wouldn't you wouldn't do that. But then we remember that like set's been or not set suit has been very clear 
that he's been actively working against the set to keep wax alive and like we may have thought that that was a lie before but i think if it, nothing else this solidifies that that like edward more or less believed that wax had a place at the table and that he shouldn't be killed because he's family versus telson is just cold-blooded get the job done fuck you dude yeah energy fuck you dude energy <laughs> well because it's better for society she's just she's yeah. in the end her net goal is to benefit society so right and the people that she can put in power <laughs> specifically anyway we're in wayne's perspective and there's a lot of wonderful things said here i'll say this this feels like the first time in a long time that in in a long while that we've been in his perspective and he's just being himself and i love it Man, it's it's just wonderful to have this dose of seeming honesty from this character from a perspective that is otherwise clouded in other perspectives and judgments and the way that he evaluates the world based on someone else's mind. This is something that I've been missing from Wayne for a while, and I mm-hmm. think that's intentional on Brandon's part. I think he's been, like you had said before, he's been clouding himself and personalities and alcohol and trying to drown out who he is. So and on top of that, to there's been this. a lot of shit going on, man. <laughs> like it's hard to fault him for that it's it's been a busy couple weeks so but yeah i agree with you it's really nice to see him being himself here yeah yeah it's it's just it's good to hear his like hear his voice but like his actual internal monologue as opposed to him trying to get something done which is often the way that his voice has been over the last book and a half or so but the ship takes a lurch and they go into land. Marisi has a wonderful line after Alex says that it's not that difficult to land. She replies, well, technically it's not. It's probably the easiest thing to do with a flying ship, assuming you're not picky. And this is just a great way of saying that, like, crashing is landing, too, if you think about it. It feels very, it feels like something plucked out of a James Bond film that a a someone would repeat to Bond while, like, staring. You know, like, it feels very... It, it feels good. I like this line, but it feels like pulled from a Bond movie to some degree. It it does. Of everybody in this book, I don't understand how Marisi is the one that delivers a line that makes me double over. But like I absolutely lost it when I when I heard this or read this line yeah. the first time. It, this is like a shockingly funny joke. There, there are a couple of those that happen over the course of this week, but there, this was one I agree with you that like absolutely was like, this is too good. Like this is a perfect bit <laughs> in the middle of an otherwise like this feels like something that Wax should be saying in the moment, and it's just better that it's Marisi in every way. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So, yeah. After the landing, they approach the fortress and notice a massive statue of the Sovereign with one spiked eye and carrying the spear that supposedly killed the survivor this is really interesting because obviously we have other reveals later but at this moment thinking about these two things what did you make this out to be the statue and everything here we talked a little bit about this earlier but what do you think of the this kind of presentation this fortress this this entire idea of this temple built by a i mean i mean it's supposed to be the lord ruler so a god yeah, it's, I mean, in thinking about it more, there's a, there's one eye spike, and that was never a part mm-hmm. of the Lord Ruler's dis- depiction. So that's something different 
but potentially still accurate if he were to come back alive in some way. I I saw all of this as more relic than actual meaningful artifact. Or maybe maybe those words are flip-flopped, whatever. Like I saw it more as symbolism than anything. Like I didn't really have any consideration that the spearhead would be anything other than decorative. But at the same time, I I was curious with the fact that they're not the first ones here in millennia. Like there there are clearly other people here. We know Suit got here first. And Wayne understands the value of just aluminum. Mm-hmm. How has this not already been pilfered? Was was something that stuck out in my mind as well. Like why why is this still here? Why hasn't it been desecrated long before now? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, Suit hadn't made it up the mountainside necessarily yet, so they hadn't beaten them to the fortress. They'd beaten them to the area in general, and so that's why they decided to pull the emergency landing to beat them by a little bit. But the people that came before with the airship were there clearly to destroy the bands, and so they were, or get the bands, destroy it with with the bombs, and so they wanted to take out the temple and everything Mm -hmm. else. And uh, they weren't out to be thieves so much as they were out to make sure that whoever... That no one could return to take this power, that otherwise it couldn't be a temptation. I think the bands feel representative to me of, like, of a nuke, in a way. Like, it feels like we've entered almost a mad, mutually assured destruction era, but with one side having access with nuclear proliferation and the others not quite developing it yet, as I consider this, but... Yeah, yeah, that's fair. So I think that's why. I think that there haven't been a whole lot of people here, but many have failed. And I think it's because... A lot of them likely as well of the Southerners as we know them, they aren't like there are very few Alamancers, so they can't detect whether or not the metal is useful or not. You know, they can't use that side of Alamancy, so they don't really know. Yeah. Like, did they just pick all of the metal in hopes that it's worth something? That's a good point. Yeah. I don't have a response to that. It's meant to be innocuous, which I think is genius on the part of the sovereign of making, you know, these two things. But Wayne recognized it, too. I mean, he recognizes the metal. He doesn't recognize that it is... Like, Wayne does not recognize that it is composed of many metals or anything like that. But he recognizes that it's a valuable metal. Yeah, because he thinks he can make money on it. Aluminum. Exactly. I mean, that's kind of where I'm coming from. Sure. Is that, like, if it was that easy to just take, why hadn't it been taken already? This raises a question about the Southerners then, like, is aluminum valuable? Is it readily available? Is it something that's not useful because there aren't that many Alamancers? Like, aluminum doesn't have a whole lot of use outside of fabricating things relatively easily because that's where aluminum's actual use lies. But it doesn't have a whole lot of use alimantically if you don't have a ton of Alamancers. Like, it's... Yeah, that's a good point. You know, what are you hiding things from from people? So... Mm -hmm. It's interesting. 
But like we said, Wayne snags the spearhead, thinking about the little engineer that he has to continue to help fund and catches back up with the rest of the crew. We get confirmation when we get into the temple that this was, in fact, where Relure had found himself. And wow, does it get more interesting from here as we find ourselves in something that is so reminiscent of an Indiana Jones film that I can't help but bring it up here for the gajillionth fucking time over the course of this book. And there are many, many traps and many of the old hunters slain here as a result that we had said had been seeking this out it seems to predominantly be two groups ish roughly an initial set of hunters and the people that were coming to bomb out the temple it appears so it's not as though there's bodies and bodies and bodies piled everywhere but there's enough for this to feel like a a ruin that was sought after a little bit found but never returned from before yeah fucking indiana jones super fan here just casually (laughs) dropping that shit again every time you can't stop me no one can stop me I do love that this prompts Mulan to become basically like a silent minesweeper <laughs> going forward. It's f- these traps are fucked, dude. Mm-hmm. They are messy and it does basically turn into like a, a serious it, it's using Milan for what the conjurer are good for to some degree, which is, I mean, like you can, if you have an immortal being, have them set off the traps, of course. Like, that's the natural, like, an immune mortal being. Fine. Like, this is but a scratch for now for them. So. Not I really. Get, I get why. That's the yeah, thing. We know, we know that it's more than that. Yeah. Yeah. And she does say that she can shut her nerves off or that she she's able to. So there's that component to it. But still, it even, even then, this still weakens Milan. Like, it's not as though she can heal immediately like she's limping later on so i mean because her bones can't heal Mm -hmm. and the bones are what gives structure and she's breaking the shit out of them (laughs) right naturally yeah yeah i i do want to bring up just as a small side note here i i don't know how you felt about him but the lewd comments from wayne and alec are like a bit objectifying there from Wayne. It's fine because it's, you assume that that's a part of the relationship for Alec. It's a little weird. Then it feels a little, you know, kind of one, two punchy. I don't know. How'd you feel about it? It's all weird. Like, yeah, yeah it, it Wayne, at least we get history mm-hmm. and understanding it. That's still weird. Yeah. Alec, it's is got a bit of, of air, you know? Yeah. And Alex is l- I could be convinced that his is out of curiosity more than lewdness because he doesn't he doesn't say anything explicitly like lewd. It's more just the interpretation to continue. And I think he's very curious about Milan's physiology or I, I could see that being an explanation of why this is happening. Yeah, 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 for sure. I just love that phrasing. It sounded it sounded like a branding phrasing of something that was like sexual, like curious about their physiology. <laughs> like you can imagine. I, I mean, I'm not, yeah. I'm not putting it on you, but like it, but it's very, very given funny. the fact that he's looking at an immortal that clearly right, has right. different this is, physiology. Like I, I could I could be OK with that rationalization the way that this is yeah. all written out. I don't know if I I'd definitely agree but yeah, I, I think that I definitely agree. I, I think that I agree with you on both fronts. Like I don't necessarily buy it, but I can try to push it in a different direction for Wayne. 
okay, like they're they're a thing, they're dating, they're an item, but maybe not a perpetual item. Who knows? Well, they're definitely not a perpetual item because uh, she's a perpetual item. <laughs> she's a perpetual item. She's on the market forever, baby. So yeah. Anyway, I just wanted to bring. I feel like I have to bring that up because it's yeah, yeah. Yep, that's it. That's it. We're going to leave that there. I love after Milan begins to set off all of these traps that Wayne brings up another of the old moves that they used to pull to close out this chapter. It's it's just such a funny like what, note. What, what move was it? Was it? It wasn't spoiled tomato. No, it was like it was black, black foot something. Not black oh, foot, it, was it was the one that he made up on the spot. Was it? That was the same as spoiled tomato, right? I don't. I don't think it was. I'll double check real quick because I, I think it's worth it. Chapter 24 and then back a page. Black Watch Double Stomp. Yeah, that's the same as Spoiled Tomato, I think. And it, he made it up at, to like trick Wax into doing it when they oh, were on the roof. Oh, he did. He did. So it would be the same move. It would be the same move. You're 100% correct. Mm-hmm. Yep. Good call. Yeah. Funny yeah. shit, Which Which... I think that makes it better because it's like, oh, I thought I was good at this. She's way better at this. <laughs> the same move. She'd be way better at the spoiled tomato, of course. Naturally. Mm-hmm. It's a fun little bit. All right. So we go into chapter 24 and there is a lot of sort of various components here that go in to the breakdown and thinking about harmony and sort of the bands and Steris and like, or sorry, not Steris, but the Lord Ruler and comparing like the sort of balance in the historica like did the lord ruler make the right call of saving people despite violence we have the history of atium which is a lost metal of course that has disappeared off of the planet there's just so much here that is sort of like core history that we've already touched on as we find the little spike belonging to relor did you have any thoughts immediately on the way that this chapter opens in marisi's perspective evaluating the sort of mythic story that she finds herself in i mean it it sort of is a stand-in for the philosophical question that we're presented with towards the end of era one of like, Mm -hmm. how do we evaluate the Lord rulers actions or inaction or the, the path Mm -hmm. that he followed and what is morality? Is it, is it more noble that he was aiming for a better world at the at the expense of the immediate people around him or would it have been more noble to save the people around him at the expense of the world at at large like it's it's almost impossible to have an answer to that clean cutly yeah yeah i i think that it gets really interesting too when you consider the fact that we think about trell at the end of this and sort of the the red that's looming over the world and you think about the chance that Trell had maybe been kept away for a long time because of the Lord Ruler, potentially, and sort of the way that society was going, and maybe there's something else there. Like, there's another rationale. Trell, as as for the record, is a very interesting nomenclature considering the powers that we know. The names directly relate to the power of said god. So Trell seems like a, a stand-in name. For something that we do not fully understand yeah. yet. For sure. Yeah. But especially I think that it's important to evaluate this because I think Trell didn't maybe perhaps intercede before because 
everything was going okay to them, just like it kind of was for preservation. Like the world was fine. And now, now it's different as we kind of come to realize by the end of this week. But Mm -hmm. there's so much, there's so much fun stuff to talk about here inside of this context. I have to pee real badly. So we're going to do that real quick, quick, quick two, three minute break. All right, cool. Ready? So we we go to Steris here and this sort of useless equation that she discusses. She's she's built out this sort of usefulness calculation to the party. And it's it's a, a very interesting moment that happens between her and Marisi here. And Marisi takes it in a very different direction, I think, than Steris had intended. There's lots of contemplation here about who they both want to be. And Steris reveals that she loves wax. I mean, there's this fantastic moment that Marisi kind of pulls out of her with a with a fishing rod as she starts to dig in. And it it's great because Marisi was previously the interested party or the other interested party. And you can very clearly see, if it wasn't very clear beforehand, that, you know, she... She can remove herself enough from this equation and has removed herself enough from this equation to love that for her sister, to now see her sister in love with someone that she had looked up to as a myth and everything else. It's it's something that she can appreciate, as well as feel this sort of strong, genuine feeling of, like, she she felt like she knew her sister, and this is a shocking character moment reveal for her. You know, it's 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 a, it's defying expectations in a big way. And that just feels excellent, I think, especially from characters interacting and feeling that. It does. But at the same time, I feel like we haven't actually had much interaction between these two one-on-one at all. Like, this feels like one of the first actual meaningful interactions between the two. And at, at the very least, without Wax as an intermediary. Mm-hmm. Or Wayne, for that matter. Yeah, I I can get behind that, especially since the beginning. I mean, like, thinking back, like you're saying, Alloy of Law is maybe the last time that I remember when they were first introduced and, like, the two of them were side by side. We didn't know that they were siblings yet necessarily, but they were, you know, Wax is still there in the scene, but... and But it's also in Wax's perspective. Like, yeah, I know. I'm I'm just trying to so, think of the last time that this happened to any degree. That's not like a an emotionally meaningful interaction between the two of them. It's just it's just two of them both there interacting with Wax. Yes. I I yeah, you're right. For sure. I don't mean to nitpick, but it just it feels strange that we haven't had more sisterly sort of interaction. I think it's because there's that divide between them to some degree or feels like there's that divide, right? I think this is where Marisi says that it's impossible to hate Steris. Like it's you can you can dislike the way that she does things. You can dislike all of these different things. You can think that she's neurotic for the way that she tackles things, but you cannot hate her despite everything, which I think is wonderful. I I agree, but just to make a counterpoint to that, does that distance only ex- d- does that separation only exist because of distance? Like they're they're not regularly interacting with each other. So does that lack of interaction feed the separation? The separation like, in the are, are we are we perceiving I, more of a difference between them or are we are we perceiving more distance between them because we just don't get any actual interaction as opposed to getting negative interaction 
I'm not suggesting that there isn't any interaction or that there's negative. Like, I'm I'm on a different equation than what you're saying. I understand what you're saying, so I'll respond to what you're suggesting. I think that it is the it is the negative on the equation side. So it's because we don't that we assume that there's no issue, if that makes sense, mm-hmm. or, or that there are no problems. Not because we get more and then it would yield a beneficial relationship or like a beneficial additive to the story. Because they probably do have small, quiet moments. They probably do share things. But this story is not one that focuses on the small, quiet moments between people almost ever with a couple of exceptions. So a good point. Well, I mean, like really the only ones that, you know, we can that I can think of for the most part are are like our hero villain moments and then Steris and Wax and the one moment with Wayne and his sort of solemnity, or I guess kind of two moments with Wayne, solemnity towards the daughter that he wronged, and then the moment with Renette, kind of. <laughs> mm, kind of. <laughs> um, yeah, big caveat there. But you know, for the most part, the story doesn't deal in that. So I, I like to believe that it's the negative space, like you're suggesting, that that yields this. But I, I do, I do want to just say that I don't think that that impacts the way that she feels about like, you can't be mad at her despite these things. I feel like that's just knowing someone deeply and intimately. Yeah. Like that just comes from being a sibling. That's true. Yeah. And then Wayne comes in and doesn't exactly spoil the moment, but does ground Marisy again versus her previous earth shattering moment here with Steris. To follow that up, there's a moment of parlay before we head over to Milan, Alec, and Wax continuing to take down traps, and Wax begins to work out the pattern of the traps, which is just kind of an excellent detective moment. Again, we channel our Indiana Jones. We've switched from Sherlock Holmes to Indiana Jones. And uh, after they make it through them, they arrive at some writing that Alec doesn't quite understand, which is interesting here. Mm -hmm. Is this the same writing that interacts with later or is this different yes writing it's the same writing because they come back okay. to the same room they yeah. come back to the same thing and they make a note of the fact that alec doesn't understand it there as well right like there, yep. there's something so i know i should know like it, it feels like i should know this and it feels like i should be able to to have picked this up through context clues but i really am struggling <laughs> Well, this this gets to a question, especially with Alec having the medallion that understands languages, but it, it equates to the identity of the people that you're talking with or the area. Has the area changed? And so maybe that's why or is the is the language incongruous with the area so he cannot read and understand it? Like how there, there are questions there, which I think are great. We don't get answers to, but that's the closest that we can get to an assumption. Well, we don't know anything about written language versus spoken language either fair point fair enough so that i mean i would assume it would probably i i i am equating this thing to a babel fish like we talked about last week but, but i know not. there are differences yeah 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 i don't i don't know what to make of it it just it feels branderson does a great job of this feeling in general of this story is so dense and there are so many secrets and so many intricate parts that this is still a satisfying story, even though I feel like there's something here that I should get, but there's just a key piece missing. 
Well, it's it's like if it were high speech, if it were like, you know, spooks language, we would be able to read it and understand it from Marcy's perspective. If and we would assume that probably Wax would know enough or Wayne would know enough to be serviceable. Actually, Wayne does know enough to be serviceable. We know that from Alloy or Shadows of Self. Shadows of Self. So like we know that some of the characters would know that. So it seems like it is a, a completely different language. Could it be like the old language that was spoken back in, you know, Luthadel back in the day? Potentially. So it's, it's a question posed. Is, is this a different language now than what Vin spoke? I would assume Could not. Could Would because, assume because, not as well. Yeah. Because Spook wrote the book that was Spook then. Spook wrote given to wax the hemology book yes yeah right so presumably that is a shared language yeah right right and like the words of founding the words of founding could have been translated but you know mm. like regardless i i think that we can stand by the idea that it seems as though at the very least it's a preserved language like the old language is preserved so we know what it would read as people would know that this would be that language but this seems Removed this seems from different entirely. Yep. Maybe it's maybe it's an old terrace language. Maybe it's meant to be something that uh, is red herring. Yeah, pointing to it twice. Mm-hmm. Could be. I mean, like it genuinely, like you know, there's there are some things. I mean, why not? Where did where is the information coming from that this is something that the Lord Ruler would have understood? That that feels so out of place. And extra. it comes down to the idea that the sovereign is the Lord ruler who built this temple. So it is something that he would understand okay. because he is the only one who could access this inner chamber because everyone else died a la Karnak. Um, okay. So it comes down to that same assumption. Gotcha. I think so. I think it's all, I think it's all derivative of the same idea for the most part. Um, okay. Yeah. There is this strong moment with Telson here where she asks Wax a serious question about how she got where she is. And with context at the end, it's made even stronger that these two have struggled on their own as children for a long time without their parents. And their split views on their possibilities that the bands have for society becomes ever more evident as this conversation, not only the first time, but especially on a reread, this gains so much context as to how they are philosophically very different people. Yeah, I I really appreciate that sort of similar upbringing and diverging paths. You see it obviously pretty frequently in fiction. Mustang and the Jackal, similar sort of idea. But it it it, it does feel good in this moment to have this interaction and the retrospective kind of ripping away of the important of it, or importance of it is just heartbreaking. <laughs> mm-hmm. It really is. It's it's something that is tough to square up against in the moment because, I mean, you really don't know. Like, you understand that these are fundamentally different people, and we've we've known that since the prologue. Like, they behave very differently. They have very different modus operandi, and they reacted to the loss of their parents very, you know, very in very polar ways. Did have a different upbringing, though, in that yeah. Telson was in the terrace village for a lot longer than wax was yeah and wax was presumably with edwarn for a long time yeah. yeah so makes him more of the father figure which yeah mm-hmm. so 
we end the chapter on two curious notes, one where the traps are brought into question as to why they're there to begin with, and a second with Edwarn having given himself up to the clutches of Wax and Wayne to begin with. This is this would be a point that I would consider ending the week on, because it is the reveal that Edwarn is giving himself up maybe the next chapter, you know, with the mm-hmm. bracers being gone. But given the idea, what do you think of this this week? Or not this week, excuse me, Jesus. What do you think of this moment where everyone gives himself up and what we find with the traps and the intentionality so, there? The point with the traps and the the contemplation of like, why would they do this in the first mm-hmm. place? Was really, really a smart contemplation to have. I, I kind of had that idea too. Not to the same, like, not to the same extent. But to the extent of like, now, why is this so complicated? Because it does feel like Indiana Jones. It does feel so like comically complicated and comically booby trapped. Mm-hmm. But it, I never it, it didn't quite get to the same point of, oh, because it's all a decoy in my head. But as far as Edwarn giving himself up, that gave me oh, fuck vibes. Like that in no way made sense to me on a like legitimate level. Yeah. Like there was no scenario where it made sense for me for Edward to just signal himself as parlaying. Sure. And, and he knows they have access to the, to the radio or whatever. Like there are so many different ways he could interact with them if he wanted to, but he wanted to be there. Mm-hmm. And there, there, there's not a benign reason for that in my head. Yeah. There can't be a benign reason. Like it's Edward is so particular and he's so well planned and thought out that there's, this is the, if, if you didn't have the red flag beforehand, your red flag is flagging and you're inspecting everyone around trying yeah. to figure out how he's going to make this work. Um, yeah, I definitely agree now, with you there. Imagine if Marisi had just shot him dead. <laughs> well, she wouldn't have shot him dead because he would have, he was probably burning steel or he could have burned steel to block the bullet or push probably. the bullet away, you know, like. If he's not already. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. But you're right. I wish I wish Marcy would have, you know, just to out him right away. That would have been better. Could have had this fight in the snow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's yeah. true. All right. With that, chapter 25. Wax allows Ed Warren to join the group as they adventure deeper into the temple and lets us know that the set did, in fact, torture as many of Alex's people as it appeared and also has that same sort of smugness around the utility of these things as we'd expect and sort of the way that he thinks about people. And it's kind of just we knew that he was despicable, but to like kind of get it so literally makes it like gross taste in mouth, especially compared to, you know, sort of regular characters There. You can justify an evil character and make someone feel good about it because of their justifications, but Ed Warren is so philosophically linked and not like directly people linked that it it just feels disgusting because it's a monologue, not like a, you know, oh, well, I had to do this, otherwise X was going to happen. Like, there's, there's some immediacy that you can get away with having a character do evil things, but this is less immediate and more grandiose, and so it feels 
evil-er. But Edward is coming to negotiate, despite having given himself up. Overall, it's a very tense moment. You can sense nearly everyone's desire to shoot the man in this moment. But he has the key to offer to the temple in those secret words we mentioned before. In general, this whole section felt like some of the most rushed that we've experienced from Branderson. Okay. Like, I, I talked about it at the beginning of this episode, like his thing, the, the Branderlanch or whatever it's called. Mm-hmm. Sanderlanch. Yeah. I, I just imposed our We own call him Branderson. Sort of- Most people call him Sanderson. So Sanderlanch for us, Branderlanch makes sense. So I understand. Yeah. Like that's his thing. I get it. Mm-hmm. But this felt lacking in sure. details in order for that part, like that acceleration to be satisfying for me. Like it just felt like we were missing things and it just felt brushed through. Interesting. Yeah. I I think, I think I agree with you by and large. It does feel a little fast. And it also actually, to me, it almost feels unnecessary. Like we're interrogating this guy who wants to come along and we have him at gunpoint. We don't necessarily need his rationalizations as much. Like we do, I, to me, I, I think that we got too much rationale. I think, I think on the other side of this, like we got so much rationale that it felt like we needed more, but I think Brandon could have gotten away with less to make it feel more approachable. If that makes sense. Like, sure. We'll I mean, take him hostage. We don't need, we don't need the sort of mutually assured destruction argument here. Give some sort of sense. external understanding that he knows the secret to get in. Yeah, that's it. And then this makes sense. Yeah. But like, what's his motivation for any of this? It feels hollow and forced. Yeah. Which, which is why, which is why I think that like less is more here to some degree. Like if you, if you step this back a little bit, it becomes more of a scene where it's like, just say that he has the key. We don't need any other explanation. Um, or Marisi can keep him on extend this by like 30 pages and get an interrogation scene and get like more in depth conversation between wax and Edwarn. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't think the less in an awkward middle ground works here. Like I I think you need more. I think almost nothing could work here fairly well. I have the key. You need me is enough of a motivation. We don't need the sort of, well, you can't make it out alive without me. Like, they're going to shoot you if you leave. It's obvious. They have guns pointing at us. They're going to shoot us if we try to take off. Like, there, there's so much definition here that you lo- you actually lose some of the tension if it weren't for Marisi being stressed out in the scene and, like, pointing the gun. Like, the tension in the scene is maintained because of Marisi. And that's the, that's the only for me it's the only emotional connection that i have to this moment or like most for the most part because like you said either you go more and you make wax tortured out of him or a character tortured out of him or i think you can go less and just get away with the bare minimum of like we're going to keep you at gunpoint you have the key take us to the place like yeah either works either way yeah something something else (laughs) this is a weird middle ground where it didn't it yeah it doesn't perfectly land but 
Mm-hmm. Of course, this proves to be entirely true. He does have the key to this incredibly complex Alimantic lock that could have otherwise kept them out for another 10 years if they would have made an error. He says that it spells out something the Lord Ruler would have understood. Do you have any ideas as to what it would be? We, of course, explored the, the like, what the fuck could this be? There's a triangle. Like, There's a couple descriptions of the things that he's pushing on. Mm-hmm. But... A triangle could be a mountain, but that has nothing to do with the Lord Ruler. I mean, it does, but not the Lord Ruler specifically, you know? Like, I have no idea, and I'm sure the clues are there, is kind Mm -hmm. of where I'm at on this right now. Yeah, I think that the puzzle was kind of pointing towards the where the power is in different times. So, like, the triangle is meant to represent the mountain and where the Well of Ascensions are. I think there's an inverted triangle, which to me points to the Pits of Hathson. And then I think it's, like, pushing them together as one, which is harmony. Kind of roughly, vaguely, but this, again, is without some of the immediate specifics. But those were my vague ideas. I do want to pause it by the end of this week that I think that the the words in the wall just repeat and say the same thing and it's just survive 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 so survive i mean that that would point to kelsier being this sovereign yeah yeah which i think the text is doing but i think so we're too. almost like, there we're almost there where we can talk it's about it's pointing in a couple different directions like, I think it's intentionally misleading us, which Kelsier would do, which is the thing, right? Like, Kelsier would create something that some people would believe is one thing and would be ominous about his identity so as to keep it a mystery. Yeah, that's fair. But Kelsier's alive to begin with? Like, that's a whole thing to unpack. How'd he live? Hmm. I don't know yet. Yeah. Yeah. Right. They say he survives, that he survived even in the religion. Mm -hmm. But but how? Hmm. He's been dead for fucking five books now. (laughs) But we have a pretty immaculate return to life here in Mm -hmm. this book in, in the form of wax. Like, yeah, who's to say that couldn't happen as well? That's true. That's true. But, yes. We, after Milan clears that trap of rooms, everyone but Edward and Wax stay behind as they continue around to check it out. Wax and Edward, sure, fun conversation about the basis of law and how it can be changed for to and for those that are in power and to suit your needs. But, man, it's a wonderful little bit where he really exposes quite a bit more about the intention of the set's actions, and we start to get some semblance of a direction for this otherwise nameless and formless organization that we really haven't had a deeper understanding of outside of it's some wealthy people that are mad. All of these characters are so complex and complete and being in these like perspectives and, and interacting so closely with them is very, very satisfying for me. It, it, it's, it's nice to see this all play out so realistically in my head. What I really like about this section is how much it parrots the flashback that Wax had from when he was a kid 
dealing with Edwin at the bank. Like they haven't changed. Like they're they're dealing with different things, but their perspectives are very much in line with where they were before. Mm-hmm. I think I think that's by and large correct because I don't think that Wax has shifted any of his beliefs necessarily throughout this. Wax is in a lot of ways moralistically an unchanged character or an unchanging character. He changes fundamentally in some emotional ways, but otherwise his he holds his moralistic high ground throughout this entire series, which is very interesting, very mm-hmm. atypical, I think. Even when Suit and other book? characters try to interrogate it. What? Hmm? What'd you say? Maybe that changes yeah. in the next book. I I think it is the possibility to to some degree. I, I think or maybe it, Often when you have a character who doesn't change despite a lot of circumstances, their story is a tragedy, right? And that's the other side of sort of the the Greek story coin is the fact that he couldn't adapt to change or that he couldn't think or see change. He fails in his own, you know, in his own way. That can be death. That can be, you know, any number of other ways. So we've yet mm-hmm. to see that play out. But it is, to me at the very least, I think that it is... A fundamental question and i think it's part of the reason that some people don't like this series is because wax kind of feels static or don't not the series but that they don't like wax is because he kind of feels static and to some degree he he does have that sort of static nature to him mm-hmm. but how do you write a paladin otherwise like paladins have to be fucking paladins they can question their faith and that that should be a part of the quest i guess but we we haven't seen we have seen that though We've seen his literal questioning of his literal faith, but not his questioning his of the morality of harmony, the impotent omnipotent or impotent impotent. Okay. He yeah, calls him I harmony, mean, the impotent. Yes. Yeah, you're right. You're right. You're right. But that's, that's him literally questioning his faith in a direct way, which is a thing for paladins, but generally questioning your faith also impacts your actual morals as you evaluate people and society. And we never saw that cascade, if that makes sense. Like a paladin who falls off of the path or a cleric or like anyone in the sort of religious pantheon of fantasy characters, when you start to question something, it cascades into other questions in your life. Mm-hmm. And this never breached the gap of religion. If that's that makes fair. sense. That's, that's really my true. issue with it. Yeah. Yeah. Like he questions his faith. Sure. But he questions it just as a faith, not as the ideology. And and here's here's the caveat answer that I can already predict that I'll get in an email or a tweet or something is that the faith of the path is one in which it demands very little of you. So to lose faith in it to begin with isn't necessarily that big of a deal because it doesn't really have a strict morality, like a strict basis of, you know, fine. And my answer there is fine. (laughs) That makes for a very uninteresting paladin is kind of the core point there. Right. So fair. All right. This proves to be entirely true. Of course, They finally find where the bracers are supposed to be located on top of this sort of velvet, pretty throne that's clearly been dressed up for something like a museum in some ways. And it's smashed and they're gone. They're lost. They've been stolen. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. What are we ever going to do? (laughs) 
Oh no. What what will we do? Uh-oh. Oh no. Uh-oh. Okay, cool. With that, we go on to chapter 26. That's what we're going to fucking do. Uh, and the room itself appears to be empty, as we had mentioned. It's an interesting moment where genuinely everyone seems incredibly surprised, including Suit and Telson, at the bands being missing. And with that, Suit calls for an end to this charade as they've marched and paraded all these people into the room. Telson pulls an aluminum gun out and shoots Waxillium, while his bullet intended for her that he quick draws and shoots at her is pushed away by someone else's alamance. God damn it, does that suck, huh? It's painful, man. This is yeah. one of those that, like, it stings. Yeah, it does. Yeah. Even even seeing it coming, it still sucks. Yeah. It's, you just, you want better for everyone involved and you and you would wish that you, you want you want like truly i mean like you want telson to actually have this sort of redemption path potentially however i think it actually makes her potentially a better villain that she doesn't get one because i i'm afraid of that in the next book to some degree internally this is my own monster talking but like if telson gets forgiven for her awful actions of abducting women and killing people for hemolurgy and everything else that feels bad because she hasn't done anything good and i can't imagine a single act maybe earning that redemption Hmm. but people are always capable of redemption i'm just talking about the possibility of it here anyway no i don't think so it is such a shocking moment if they do gain redemption i don't want to fucking have it oh are you branded now (laughs) are you you doing your best branded interpretation good work good work no i Redemption is something that has to be earned by a character, and you can make it feel very cheap by doing it too quickly, so I understand why. That said, Telson pulling this out here seems like it is doubling down on that character that and confirms her as the sequence. It confirms her as this extra sort of evil entity pulling strings in the background and one with suit, and that's brutal for our boys and Marisi and Saris and Milan. Yeah. Our folks, as it were. And that she's referred to as Lady Sequence, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I'm still trying to figure out all the the meaning behind the terminology. I think you shouldn't spend too much time on the meaning. If we think about it, the words that we have so far are suit, series, sequence, set. I mean, it seems to be maybe card related, maybe adjacent to like cards. Maybe. I'll say it again. Maybe. Yeah. And all S's. One more time for emphasis. Maybe. So we move to... (laughs) I still want to know. Yeah, it's fair. We move to Marisi, who has to think quick. She quickly prepares, lines up her rifle, and takes shots at suit, and whacks a shot a second time as our reveals pour in. Ed Warren is an allomancer, of whom, of course, I'm going to caveat here immediately, is later revealed to be a hemologist, and Telson is in the set and also an allomancer. Hemologist, it seems, we don't get as much confirmation for her as we do for Ed Warren, but it seems as though... Given what we know, she probably wasn't hiding these abilities and seems to have some spikes poking out later that we reference. But this battle quickly turns in a terrible way as they are unable to handle the pair of Telson and suit and Wayne. Wayne's run off entirely. He's disappeared in this moment of combat, fucked off while uh, while they have to deal with it. First, first pass at this book. Alloy of Law, I think it was. 
I had made the the assertion that Edwarn was secretly a hemologist as well, and it, I felt so smugly like happy about getting that reveal, even though it gets pulled out from under me later on. Alamancer is it, did I say? I thought you said hemologist. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Meant yep. meant Alamancer. Yep. All good. Um, but you're right. You're right. Yeah. I know you're. I knew what you meant. We like obviously hemallergy is a big part of it, but are we to assume that this is strictly like this has nothing to do with the coins or could we extrapolate an idea that the coins themselves could also be granting allomancy? This is clearly hemallergy. None of the coins are doing anything here. Okay, fair. There is there is no circumstance in which we can point to Alamancy being pulled from anything but the bands of mourning so far. Okay. And the bands seem exceptional in that way, which exceptionality as an object is temporary as science and technology advance. So like the question is, when does the wheel become popularized? When does everyone have a nuke in their car? When, when are the bands of mourning common? I mean, when does everybody have a nuke in their car is a time in the timeline that I want to jump to, frankly. Honestly, nuke in their car, I'm assuming you're going with nuclear fusion, uh, fission, rather. You actually want a nuke in everyone's car? That's crazy. You trust people far too much. No, I don't. That doesn't make it better with nukes. It like, makes what it do you worse. Mean? It, absolutely. It makes it way worse. <laughs> I want to <laughs> be there. A lack of... No, you don't. <laughs> you fundamentally do not want to be there, actually. You can't tell me what I want. You, 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 okay, all right. Fine. <laughs> you enjoy that. I'm going to live in my alternate timeline where we all agreed to not do you anything to negative to go with there. nuclear energy. I made the choice right now. <laughs> all right, fine. You can't tell me what to do. <laughs> in the same way that I can't tell you what to do. Okay. As it's it should shocking be. moment. As it... Hmm. Sure. <laughs> and Wax <laughs> is bleeding to death at the bottom of this pit. Milan has been injected with the dissolving liquid that we've seen previously used and then has her spike stolen. So she reverts to a mist wraith, leaving her crystal bones behind staring at the ceiling. And our heroes at the end of this chapter are in a very, very bad spot. This is pretty bleak, man. Yeah. This is pretty fucked. Why are the crystal bones left behind when she becomes a mist wraith? Because we know mist wraith have bones integrated into them. Yeah, so I think it's I think it's the muscles and everything that are holding on to them, if that makes sense. Like, it's muscle confusion. So I would assume that eventually the Milan mist wraith pile would collect the bones, but wouldn't necessarily assemble them into any format. The okay. bones from mist wraith's previous... Well, they're also not actually understood. bones. Yeah, there's that. There's no flesh attached to them, which is kind of our our context for myths rates and their assortment of bones is that they would eat things and then they would just acquire the bones and they'd be kind of like randomly strewn and like poking out. So, but yeah, and, and these are inorganic crystal carved mm-hmm. into the shape of bones. So maybe the mist yeah. wouldn't recognize them. So it's like, why wouldn't a mist wraith on the field of battle just pick up every sword and become a pokeball of doom? You know, it should. That's a great idea. That's that's really like. Well, mist wraiths don't have brains or don't have sentience to that level. They can do brains. brains. 
They can eat brains. They consume them and then they're gone. They do not gain <laughs> any intelligence from said brains. Yeah. 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 Any other week, this would have been an ending location. Any other week. God, there's so many good ending there. locations in this section because yeah. I think it's the next true. section is also a good ending location. It really could be. Chapter. So you, you can get into my brain for how I would usually do these things <laughs> and you can very clearly see I would have ended here if it weren't for the, the, the everything else going on. And at the same time, it's like, what was I going to take a week away from? Like, was I going to take a week out of Well of Ascension? No. Was I going to take a week out of Hero of Ages? We were already going pretty fast through Hero. Mistborn? No. Mm-hmm. Like, I, there was nowhere that I could shave off a week outside of not busting my wrist. But then that only put us back further. Like, we, yeah, we were already, yeah. we're going to finish Secret History this week versus, you know, the current schedule. Right. right right okay all right with that we go into chapter 27 this is a relatively action-packed chapter if we think about the way that like the death happens and sort of winds down and we go between these different moments this is when the the sander lanch has firmly begun if you didn't think we were in it already wax is dying with his medals in him as he reflects on the prologue and how strong uh how strong those metals feels and those feelings from the beginning, they're permeating his life as he's remembering these different highlights and the way it relates to him and the current mystery and the ruse of it all. And he prays in these final moments to harmony as he tries to keep himself alive while reading the room and what's going on. And the dead bodies of the centuries are so reminiscent here in this small, low ceilinged room. It's so reminiscent of Karnak in that moment in Watchmen. And I think of Alexander the Great and the way that he built his final resting temple. Thomas, please correct me on that. But it's wonderful, compelling stuff. And Wax finds the bands that he assumes are the real bands as he dies. The bracers that are on a separate pedestal here. All of our heroes that have death scenes in these books era one and two have been so compelling and so complicated and and heart-wrenching and this is no exception obviously i was caught off guard by this death in general i knew we we didn't really dwell on it when telson shot him or when we talked about telson shooting him but like i i really didn't expect it to happen like this and i i know he doesn't die yet here but it the writing was on the wall Mm-hmm. yeah it was in a different language yeah well yeah one that we don't know mm-hmm. just kidding yeah but yeah, but was... you're right this this is a shocking moment i think in a, in a big regard like i also didn't expect wax to die here i mean you know he's not he's not quite dead yet but he's dying he's draining and it's it is a very shocking moment to like consider losing a lead and we previously Brandon has pulled no punches with with death. Death has been something that has been permanent and nigh irreversible. So, you know, this kind is, of. Oh, I guess the exception is Sazed, but he didn't die. He ascended. So, yeah, yeah. Sazed never died. He grabbed the two powers, but. I mean, he kind of defines it here later, like he defines yeah. the realms and we get we're informed a little bit more by everything else. But it seems as though he can't interact with the physical realm. So regardless, mm-hmm. it 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 is 
it is one of those things that as a writer you can only do so often and it i think it actually works really well here with wax as we continue through the next chapter or two and how that plays out but we're not quite there yet to the death itself it's just the shocking moment where he's beginning to lose everything but edwarn is stalking him through this low ceilinged room in this darkness with the blood leaking out on the ground and following the trail around as he can and have that sort of like quintessential villain revealing monologue moment where generally the two parties would be hunting each other around the room and they'd be like corners with guns up and they'd be shouting at each other. But instead, Wax is limping along, you know, barely breathing. And he gives up that Telson was actually the one who recruited him and that the truth of and the truth of society on the whole, this oligarchical power structure, the way that they want to break that down and that Alamancers should no longer be in power. These people who are randomly imbued with abilities, only those who should have them should use them and the people that have the capability of using the power to their fullest extent, which is just intense as far as like a thought process goes. Edwarn ends this conversation by stepping on a trap and burying the two of them. Almost. Yeah. Despite any understanding of Telson being in the set, mm-hmm. it was still surprising that she was the one that recruited him. And yeah. Like outranks him. Like that that was that was a fun reveal. In this moment, his understanding of the traps was surprising to me to know like exactly what trap to set off. Cause in my mind, it's all pretty hidden, but I don't know. Well, the, the moment is that wax knows each trap and wax has been trying to lead him to a trap. And so he chooses to set it off despite being led. If that makes sense. Like yeah. he 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 knows that he's being led and he chooses to do it in that moment. Presumably because he knows it's not a trap that's going to just kill him. It's going right. to affect both. He assumed that it's going to kill Wax. Yeah. And probably it will definitely kill Wax. He could survive it. Yeah. Yeah. We then move to Marisi as there's as the group is stripped of their medallions, including Alec, of his that was keeping him warm. Telson also reveals that even if the bands weren't there, the airshift left behind was still a very big win for the group as they now have. You know, we've, we've been talking about the bands as like a nuclear weapon. This seems like it's very clearly similar. I mean, it's at the very least a WMD that they'd be acquiring in a big way to take over society. So, yeah, I mean, like, can you imagine, like, take the bands off the table? Like, she's right. This is a huge boon of technology being granted to a terrorist organization. Like, it's insane. (laughs) Suddenly, airplanes, you know, even if it's basically dirigibles, like, that's still a huge deal. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's totally, totally correct. It's, it is astonishing how this would still manage to change the world even if the bands didn't exist so it does still keep that tension alive despite us believing at this point that the bands aren't real so we go back to wax and woof it's bad for our boy he is down he's out edward is just talking at him and specifically about the abilities and limitations of hemolurgy and the control that it grants him and then 
as Waxley's dying, Ed Warren picks up those bands off of their nondescript pedestal and uses them, except they're useless. They don't do anything because they're a pair of bracers that seemingly have no capabilities inside of them. Wayne shows up saving the Danes, slamming him out of the way. They, the two of them share a somber moment about living without each other as Wax dies. This is such, this is almost such a satisfying moment, you know, like it, it could have been a very satisfying end. This could have been, he could have actually died here and it would have been okay from a, you know, so that's kind of the complicated emotional response I have to this in that, like if it was this clean cut and Wayne saved the day like this, I don't think I would have been satisfied. Hmm. Like, I, I don't think I would have liked that story. It sure. would have felt too on rails. Oh, save the day and not had Wax die, if that makes sense. Yeah. Is that yeah, what you're saying? Like, oh, yeah. I think Wax has to die here in order for it to be satisfactory. Right. It has to. Yeah. But the fact that Wayne gets here and they get that little moment is very nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's it's somber and, and solemn in a big way. And it really... it it. We've, we've talked about like Wayne feeling like he's on his comedic pedestal for a lot of this book. And this feels like a return to chapter five shadows of self Wayne, where he's, you know, sitting there staring down the death and the people that he wronged. And it feels like that, but his, his life since that moment in losing his dearest friend and like, he doesn't want to live without, without wax around. And that is tragic in a massive mm-hmm. way. Yeah, it is. Makes me tear up a little bit just thinking about <laughs> it. Oh. Oh. Okay. So we go back to Marisi after that and <sighs> replies that she's been left the spearhead as opposed to the spikes and that that was traded, of course, by Wayne, that motherfucker trading things around without anyone knowing, the sleight of hand, that roguish man. And we get the report from Edwarn as he exits the temple that Wax is dead. And that the bands are a decoy. They're they're seemingly a decoy. Get Rather out. What's up? How do you get out? Well, the the collapse wasn't really a full collapse. It didn't I mean, obviously like Wayne got in, no problem. Yeah, but, that's true. Yeah. But they they don't necessarily I should I should say that they don't necessarily point to the bands being a decoy, but they do point to them not working. But Marisi realizes that they're a decoy. And so she's internalizing this and being like, well, of course, naturally, all of these things have been decoys and misdirection. So, yeah, there's there's so many twists and turns in this entire section. Edwarn points them to be drained. Like, yep. He assumes them to be real, but emptied of power. But yeah, there, there's nothing is sacred as far as information goes here. Everything is hearsay and subject to change yeah there's there's a lot of that that's just kind of hanging just right out of reach and man i don't know if anything defines this last part of this chapter better than just right out of reach as we end with wax and his final moments and he dies as he realized that the bands were right in front of them the whole time as he comes to realize that it was the spearhead. Not that not that he, you know, says that immediately, but he's like, oh, the bands are real. They were there. We missed them. 
and the darkness arrived and wax died. It, yeah, this sentence punched me, man. <laughs> like, I could have seen this being an end as well. But you're I right. Had there's such there's, a hard time. Yeah. yeah. That would have been tough. There, there's like there are good like emotional downbeats to end on in things and this doesn't feel like one necessarily especially because of the context to come if that makes sense like it feels especially in post we get like a chat with god and we get like we get some crazy shit in chapter 28 we get wayne's perspective on death which i think is important um mm. i would have would have felt weird to not include this with that for context purposes if that makes sense yeah that makes sense yeah feeling this is a cliffhanger in a tv show could feel really great but then you might feel cheapened out when you go into the next episode and immediately like it's like the afterlife and he like wakes up in blackness and then god's there and you know that could, could work i don't know mm-hmm. regardless we go into chapter 28 and i want to read a quote here wax stilled Wayne let the hand fall limp. He just wanted to sit here, stare at nothing like those fellows in rows nearby, the ones that weren't crushed. Sit and become nothing. And this is just a fucking tragic moment for Wayne, where he deeply feels that the most important person in his life vanish, die, disappear, and it breaks his spirit in this moment. He picks over his friend's body, finds the shotgun, stills his own shake that's been there since the last time that he picked up a gun and had to use it before he goes to find those that wronged his friend to put them to justice in his own head. And fuck, is that a moment? Yeah, 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 it is. But the strongest point that I'd like to make about this is how it compares to Wayne reflecting on lessy or bleeder's death in the Mm -hmm. last book because wayne or sorry wet i don't know if i said that right rack wax reflecting on that but wayne feels the desire to react that way but pushes against it and pushes Mm -hmm. through it out of necessity obviously like they're, they're in pretty dire straits right now but i think it's interesting that both of them have the same gut reaction to a meaningful death yeah i i think it does make sense it it is a deeply deeply tragic moment for both of them and that parallel between the two is rw's evaluate losing their significant person in their life i mean yeah it's hard not to draw that comparison especially considering the way that you know we we don't see it with wayne payoff entirely on the other side where Wax breaks down in Steris's arms and melts and cries at the end of the last book. We don't quite have that same level of clarity and satisfaction, but we do get it in a, I think, a different beat that speaks to the way that Wayne has changed and his character has grown since long since he met Wax, I guess is probably the better way to put that. But not since we started the story, but since his origin with Wax. Right. Yeah, I it's heavy, dude. Of, yeah <laughs> death is heavy did did you death know is heavy. Were you aware? yeah i wasn't it feels bad <laughs> 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 uh, 
Oh, God damn. Yeah, it, it hurts. We move over to Marisi, and Marisi comes to realize that it's been the spear the whole time that's been the bands of mourning. She has this moment of realization as she looks at it and she sees all of the different metals intricately woven into this that presents the 16 metals. So it's it's something it's certainly something but then we do eventually jump away from that but what do you think about the reveal in this moment so my my strongest reaction to this reveal is maybe unsurprisingly that of mechanics mm-hmm. and something that has kind of stuck out to me as a not a problem but an out, outlying or unresolved rule for for this entire section and that's that of metal mines being more difficult to push when they're full and getting the extreme of that here did make that whole thing a little bit more satisfying that's interesting because as we had known it before part of the reason that metal mines were difficult to push on is because the metal was associated with someone. So it was because of identity that it was difficult to interact with someone else's metal mines or something. That was I don't think that piercing. was textual, though. I think that was something that was speculated. Mm. Because he, he does talk about how it's, some it's metal difficult. mines are more, an, more difficult than right. others to detect. So, uh, yes. So what, what I'm trying to add in here is that there's no identity tied to it. There's just investiture, right? So because they're the bands of mourning, they can be used by anyone. So we assume that it lacks identity in the same way that other things do. So it was what I'm what I'm trying to get at is like previously this attribute was tied to it being someone else's and it being identified as someone else's. This solidifies it instead as the amount of power or that there is any power stored in something that makes it a ferrochemical metal mine that cannot be pushed upon or detected to the same degree it separates identity out of the equation that's kind of right. the, the core point there yeah yeah that's what i was trying to get at for the record gotcha does gotcha. that make sense okay yeah because i i think that it makes sense you're entirely correct it is it is the amount of power but previously textually it appeared as though it was identity that was the issue Okay. That someone had claimed that metal as a metal mine to, to begin with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we get Wax's death here and the moment in which he pops into the cognitive realm and the walk with Harmony. He specifies inside of this conversation, Harmony, there, there's a lot that goes on, but he also specifies the three parts that make up a person, body, mind, and soul, and where they go in the Cosmere, the the physical realm the cognitive realm and the spiritual realm he divides them up and talks about the way that one being is composed of these three different components and begins to paint this larger tapestry for how people exist inside of this universe yeah we we can kind of assume that it follows the same order but it's not necessarily explicit he mm-hmm. says one goes to the to the planet one goes to the, the realm that he exists in and one goes somewhere that he doesn't even understand. Mm-hmm. And it's, I think assumed that the body goes to the planet, the mind goes to his realm and the, the soul is entirely separate, but 
was there more explicit understanding of that that I'm missing? I, I think that it was a little bit more clear that the soul went to somewhere. Like, the soul has an afterlife very clearly. He doesn't know anything about it. Yes, that's an important delineation. He knows that it exists, but he doesn't know anything about it. Right. He doesn't know so, where it is. He doesn't know what's right. what's up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He just knows that it is. Yeah. It, there, there's a lot here to talk about from Harmony and Wax's perspective, but he also... Wax asks of Harmony the sort of quintessential God question. Why do you allow suffering? And and there's this, it always kind of spirals and it's an Ouroboros kind of thing, right? Like how far down the rabbit hole do you go to prevent suffering in existence before you abstract choice out of the equation, right? Like you eventually you lose free will and that's a problem. What mm-hmm. do you think of this conversation? Well, I... I like obviously it does devolve into that talking in circles a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, But I liked the overall resolution that they come to in that he's asking about or positing that, Hey, you could make small, small changes and prevent the biggest problems. And his answer is I do. You don't see Mm -hmm. them because they don't happen. But ultimately like I am, preventing the biggest things like I, I liked that as a an end point to that conversation because it 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 has to stop there because it relies on being able to see something that didn't happen and only one of them can do that right right which which becomes so interesting especially when we get into kind of the lessy thing the lessy conversation that happens a little bit later here is that ultimately he is preventing the worst of things and that's that is a fascinating read on on this question it is a brilliant spin on brandon's yeah. part to say like this god is doing the best that they can it's just that you perceive, like, when I take away the worst things, your perception of the worst things changes. Your level, that bar, shifts to the next worst thing until it becomes the smallest modicum of, of an inconvenience that's like, why am I interceding here? Right. So, brilliant, brilliant play. Brilliant work here. But we get to the planetary view, and we, we start to extract ourselves as he's kind of walking along with Wax and showing him more. We see this haze of red being blocked out by this thin atmosphere that we can kind of assume, and he even calls it like a crude depiction of of like what's going on as opposed to like the actuality of what's happening, which is interesting in and of itself. But outside of that immediacy, Harmony shows Wax that he actually did give him a choice not to kill Lessie but that this was the only rational path in which they agreed that Wax could handle this outcome and this reality um, to feel good about what was going to happen, it being in his own hands and and sort of the, the way that he chose this path where she wasn't suffering anymore. And woof, if you, if you thought the death was heavy, for me, this is, it recontextualizes the killing and alloy of law and shadows of self and everything else to be like, this is a man who didn't know that it was his choice, but it was his choice. And he saw his suffering and understood his suffering and chose that as opposed to worse outcomes. Yeah. Yeah. This is fucking heavy, dude. Yeah. <laughs> and like I, what I appreciate ab- across this whole section is the balance that Branderson seems to be doing here of 
expectations versus actions and, mm-hmm. and really making things make sense even though they're they're on different levels of existence they're able to communicate yeah. effectively right right it's fascinating to get into the sort of atmospheric thing harmony really doesn't even know what that red is that he's protecting the world from necessarily he can't directly see it in its nature there's hope back down on Scadriel as Marisi taps everything and feels supreme power flow through her. All of the powers of Allomancy, Allomancy of Old, and Ferrakemi all at once float flooding into her. Marisi holds the power and acknowledges, despite chasing this feeling for so long and wanting to be like the Ascendant Warrior, this isn't really what she desired. This is a conversation that I feel like we could have for hours. <laughs> Right. I don't want to devolve into the dress again, uh, but I feel (laughs) like this fits there. Mm -hmm. Truly. Like, I I feel like this just expands that conversation that we could be having about identity and desire. But ultimately, I appreciate that Marisi is able to taste that power and reject it entirely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It feels it feels good. Yeah. For some reason. when compared to Vin, Vin didn't really have the luxury of choice. Marisi has, could have the luxury of choice. She could choose to pursue, like, possessing this power, but instead realizes that it doesn't mesh with her her path. I love that you bring up the dress here, because I think that that is an apt point without getting too in the weeds, of course, as you mentioned. But I, th- I think that it's a great, it's a great point, because it's a separation point. For Marisi, she has the option to try on the dress, and to choose whether or not she wants to wear it to begin with, wherein Vin has to have a dress. And it's a question of what's the dress blend together. Right. So. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to my my takeaway as a comparison. But, oh, man. And Marisi, Marisi being the supreme alamancer for just a second feels good i mean the way that she and ferrochemist she like stealing the vials and then downing them to use them feels so good removing some <laughs> of these assumed hemologists from combat it's just it all it, it's yeah. all so cool it's such a good moment i can imagine this pretty dope very cleanly in a tv show you know or a movie this this feels great for her yeah steris witnesses her sister fly and that's shocking for her, of course. Alec is struggling next to her, and she, while he is trying to communicate with her, she seems to actually be kind of working out his intent as, of what she's saying, and I question whether or not she's maybe breaking the language and able, starting to like break down what words mean. There seems to be like a little note of that understanding, but we find out that she has a secret weapon inside of her hollowed-out book with a spare medallion to help our buddy Alec. So nice. So nice. So good. So she good. comes in so clutch, nice. obviously, yeah. being Steris. She always comes in clutch. But yeah, Steris I, and clutch I love hand this, hand. Uh, uh, yet again, an example of the juxtaposition of this, like, hyper-powerful, misborn character mm-hmm. doing all these really intricate things and, like, going away and then jumping to somebody mundane next to them, say, like, just seeing him go, pew! Just like <laughs> shoot away into the into the night, like oh, uh, okay, fuck. <laughs> Perspective, perspective is wild. Yeah, yeah. So seeing that 
in the TV mm-hmm. show, as you were just mentioning, could be hilarious. Yeah, you can just imagine, like, in the show, I can imagine Sarah's going, like, scrunching up her face and throwing her arms up in the air, being like, what? <laughs> and just, like, having that sort of dramatic reaction to, like, you can fly now? Like, that kind of a thing, without obviously stating it or anything like that, but, you know. You can right. you can imagine that perplexing sort of reaction as the camera shifts. It'd be great. Exactly. It would totally work. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we end this chapter with Wax being presented with a choice as Marcy, as we know, arriving at his body. Freedom or another adventure. And Wax chooses to return to life and does what he does best. According to Marcy, as she recounts at the end of this chapter, break things with style. Such a good summary of what he's good at. <laughs> it's so good because he he also says like do what you're do what you're good at. Marcy says, and then he replies, "Break things," and she says, "Break things with style." And it's just it's a nice little bit that's just like makes it makes gives me little goosebumps, little goosebumpies. Yeah. It's fine. Yeah, so good. All right, we go into chapter twenty nine. We go to Ed Warren, who sees this whole ship as an opportunity and a missing Telson as a chance to take over her position as sequence if she doesn't return. Then he'd be in charge of the whole series as it stood. There's quite a bit here that happens, and it's nice to get kind of what's effectively our final Ed Warren POV. Technically, I get we get a little bit more in the end, but we get a little bit of understanding as to the set and sort of the relationship with Telson um, and the way that he feels about things at large, but oh, a you know. little bit, but this is specifically the section that I was talking about before where I, I mm-hmm. wanted more. Yep. It, 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 it just feels like it feels too shrouded in mystery. And I wish we had a little bit more understanding. I can definitely agree with that. This feels as though it is just like it like I understand why you have this chapter. This chapter feels good because you get to see Edward's perspective. You get to see the ship take off, which is really important to like set the stage for what's going to happen when Wax shows up and like see this sort of set piece lift into the sky. That makes sense. Set up the villain, mm-hmm. set up that scene. We have no one else's perspective that I think you could really embody this well through. However, all of these other teases are just that they're teases and it it doesn't it does nothing but tease and so i want to know more because i've been teased god damn it which i totally agree with you on mm-hmm. so we move from there to captain jordy's jordis jordy's jordy's jordis jordis i jordis, think, I think. Jordis, yeah And it's interesting to be in her perspective comparatively, no matter how brief it is, as Alec and Steris charge in holding weapons to arm free and warm them to fight against the set. This is really crazy because it's a southern squadron that we're jumping into his head and kind of seeing the world and the cruelty that they're seeing upon themselves and the people around them die. It feels like a return to the old ska perspective from the first era. Whenever we would yeah. cut to, you know, a random ska person. That's a good point. I wasn't expecting a new perspective entirely this late in the mm-hmm. sector in the, in the, in the series or this late in this book, but I appreciated it. I, I appreciated the difference in point of view, looking at the characters that we'd been inhabiting for so long and mm-hmm. seeing them from a new perspective. Yep. So yeah, it's, it's a strong moment. I definitely agree with you. So Wax charges out, tearing 
around like a true Mistborn while also considering the terrible power that he wields in these moments as he's able to bend what he feels like is reality to his will almost in the way that he feels he can supremely pull and push on things like he never could before. He snatches an aluminum gun and makes his way to suit on the bridge of the airship and they enter a standoff where the ship is wired to explode and kill them all, including the people below. After Wax says that he'll drop the bands, suit not knowing it's the spear, they head into this interesting standoff and we kind of cut away pretty quickly. But... Before this returning. is where it's also revealed that Edwarn is holding a coin in his mouth, right? Yes, yes. Not Did only he... because of his speech that Kramer nails with like kind of the marble mm. mush mouth, but also textually, of course. Um, yeah, and like it's it's said that he's smoking a pipe, so it seems reasonable that his speech is different. Yeah, which and, I, I thought Wax was a nice can touch. Detect the coin. Hmm? Yeah, Wax can detect the coin because of his superior allomancy. Right, but did anything actually come of that coin? Yeah, he it's it uses it's used in the end. Okay. So okay. in the very end, it seems as though Edwarn could choose to pull it out and kill Wax with it, but instead what he does is he puts it between them and the ground and uses it to save them from the fall that would have killed both right. of them. Right. Yep. So it's okay. a question of kill both of us or save us both. And I get captured. He chooses being captured. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. And then, fuck, the Telson Wayne scene here at the end, this is fucking brutal. Especially if you don't, even with the out that we know that he didn't actually shoot her in the head by the end of this, but just the fact that he, the way this cuts away, leaves it with that question of did Wayne actually do that? But the way that Wayne is so gruff in this moment and his language has truly shifted into a completely different I want to say monster. It's it is, yeah. cra- like crazed, craven. It's shocking. It is. It, it's st- a straight up execution yeah. in the first example of it. Until you until you learn that he mm-hmm. assumed that she wasn't actually going to die. But I'm well, not curious. only that he assumed that she wasn't going to die, but that it wasn't. A, it wouldn't be what Wax wanted to happen. Well, there's that. But yeah, yeah that's we'll true to that. too. But he he set out. With this intention, because he mm-hmm. he grabs the gun from, like it, it wasn't a sudden decision, like it wasn't a snap decision. He he takes the shotgun from Wax's body, right. and like thinks this through and goes through with it. I'm curious as, if this breaks his phobia of guns going forward. That's a good question. I don't know. I don't know. Don't know. He justifies don't know it saying. <laughs> like humorously that shotguns don't count but yeah i'm I'm really curious if this breaks his phobia i i hope not because i feel like that would be a little bit indicative of him backsliding against like the reason that he's afraid of guns i can also see it on the other side where it's like he overcame the fear because he's not going to do that anymore so i can see it both ways but i as far as keeping Wayne an interesting character, I'd prefer him not to use guns, even if it's just by choice. Um, you know, maybe he keeps a gun on him, but he he rarely chooses to use it. Yeah, you know, I could some simple like, things like that. I, I like that there is a he has an out for using one now. He has a yes. precedent yep. set that even if he doesn't like it, it's not 
like Telson is banking on him not being able to use one. Yes, right, yeah. right. It's not untenable, which until now I would have been like, he picked up yeah. a gun, but in this circumstance, it's like absolutely he picked up a gun. He's at his mm-hmm. dire limits. Like that 100% makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Wax launches himself at suit and drops all of the many hundreds of hours of weight that he has on him and eventually forces them to the ground. Suit forced to use Alamancy to save both of them using that coin against the ground. It's such a brilliant move and moment in this sort of standoff in which they agree to these it's sort of semi quasi ridiculous terms. I mean, wax is very good at this, so he can agree to it, but like still (laughs) (laughs) another example of a really well delivered line from Michael Kramer of I'm a ferricimist uncle right before this whole sequence. As simple as it is, it is so impactful. And he's like, I'm, I'm that thing that you hate. You forgot that part of me that you hate or something like that. And yeah. I'm a ferrochemist uncle. And it's just, it's perfectly punchy. Mm-hmm. Oh, delicious. And there's the other line that I, I love here. The definition of a lawman uncle is easy. He's the man who takes the bullet so no one else has to. That definition makes sense in the moment, but I feel like there's more to it than that. <laughs> very, very true. Again, with a Mitch Hedberg is, yeah, no. I, I definitely agree with you. I think that there is more to it than that, but this is his definition that he can live by, right? Yeah, that's fair. The, the one that puts themselves in front, which we've, he refers to himself as a lawman. He is a lawman. Wax to me truly stands as a paladin. You know, yeah. I, we've made that, I've made that comparison in this episode, but that's because now it has become so prominent that he's unshifting in a lot of his beliefs. He's the paragon of a God. Like there's, there's a lot that points to, wax being a western paladin for harmony yeah Um, no that's absolutely true yeah all right milan as she comes back has a terrifying moment in realization as she begins to become herself again and reform this is just a wild unexpected moment inside of everything else that is going on what what was your takeaway because this is literal like i mean it's fucking it's so cool (laughs) but it's literally crazy yeah yeah yeah, it's such an insane feeling. And like that would be true just coming back to consciousness, but the fact that she's also coming back to physical form. And she's like shifting and sentience? In that I mean that that's what I'm saying. Yeah. I guess I said consciousness, but it's consciousness, no, 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 but it, sentience and physical well, I, form. I think that it's all it's like once. a it, well, yeah, exactly. So, yes, exactly. It it is that like true reformation. Like technically she's conscious, but she she is she is and technically a mystery is, is sentient, but it's that resumption of sentience and consciousness and that sort of way that it scales up over the course of writing in addition to mm-hmm. the physical form that is just, wow, like unanticipated, unexpected, incredible stuff. This could be kept off page and you'd be like, oh, that happened. But instead getting this like little side paragraph or two worth it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Pays dividends. Mm-hmm. All right. With that, we go into a really brief in my head chapter 30 as we've resolved most of the action here for the week. Marisi and Alex share chalk or chocolate, a hot chocolate. Wax saves the ship in a wonderful, grandiose fashion in which it almost appears like he has a Superman moment in which he's literally holding the ship and like puts it down very gently. It is very much a Superman (laughs) moment, but like it is like 
Do we need to literally make wax Superman in this moment? It's it's fun, I guess. I, I see I see the intrigue in doing so when you can. Yeah. What'd you think? Yeah. The the biggest thing that sticks out to me is does this mean that they don't have sugar? Interesting. No. I just wonder if chocolate is treated as something that's bitter and that you couldn't reflavor to make it otherwise. You know what I mean? Well, that, like, I mean that's what chocolate is, and it's at sugars added to it to make it good. And, like, that seems to be the case here. They just added sugar. You know, that's really interesting when you think about the lemonade as well and sort of the reaction to the lemonade that Wax has is mm-hmm. that it's not it's not that they don't have sugar. It's that maybe sweetness is uncommon. And, like, or, like, or it only sugar, comes from know, certain things, pastries, fruits, you know, yeah, so, something right. like that it's integrated into as opposed to a, yeah. an extractable thing interesting yeah yeah i think i think you're onto something there it's not to say that they don't have it it's that maybe they don't use it in ways that they should be or that are seem obvious to us does he talk about simple syrup when he's mixing things when when wayne is making all those i don't think so i don't think so he talks about sugar cubes i think um does he? Okay, that yeah, that sugar breaks cubes. this then. No, I don't think it does though. I don't think it does entirely because it's 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 about it being common and like mixing it with things all the time. Okay. So yeah. and Wayne in and of himself is inventing things and doing things on the fly. So I'll give Wayne a little bit of a pass. And again, I want to clarify at the very least that I'm not saying that sugar doesn't exist in society. I think that it's it's not commonly mixed with things and mixed into things all the time. It's more of a delicacy or, you know, intended for sweets and you wouldn't consider it for something like a drink for the most yeah, part. That's yeah. fair. Or to be paired with something very bitter, you know? Mm-hmm. So I, I wanted to speak for just a moment about Marisy's line about the darkness of these two men as Wax is flying around doing what he needs to to help people having been broken and died and Wayne having come out on the other side of this and Marisy kind of choosing her own path and having this lovely moment of reflection that she doesn't want to be like either of them with these sort of dark secrets and dark paths pasts and doesn't want to walk down that to potentially be opened up to that possibility in the future. It's not the life that she wants. Isn't this such a stark difference from where we started with Marisy's perspective on these guys as heroes? Here's like, the thing. It's so different. <laughs> Here's the thing. The book wants you to believe, the story wants you to believe that Wax and Wayne are our protagonists, our primary protagonists, our primary lens. But really, it's Marisy. Marisy is our lens for growth throughout the entire story. And I think it's it's brilliant in Steris that a little precise bit depiction. Steris as well. But Marisy is kind of first and foremost because she starts, like you're saying, idolizing these people for these things. And then graduates out of that over time as she begins to actually understand what that means and actually adjusts and changes her lifestyle as such because she doesn't want to have that same darkness that they have. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. man. It's a moment. It's great. It is. There is a lot to unpack here about the crew and the negotiations, but I think it's pretty straightforward for the most part. We even talk about it more in the next chapter. It's an intense scene, and Steris really does most of the lifting here to get them out of an awful near miss of another battle that could have happened as Wax is so bad at these kind of political negotiations, as we found out at the party and otherwise. And this is Steris' strong suit, and so it is a great moment for her to flex her character and to also show that Wax is not omni-capable, which I think is great because it seems like, especially after he gets this stick of power, 
that there's that possibility. Yeah. I really appreciated the concessions made and the, the compromises that she comes up with throughout that. Yeah. Like it feels like a very, very fair negotiation. Right. By the end. Of yeah. It. I would agree. They do their best all told. So yeah. there's one more thing to unpack here at the end of the chapter. As we'd mentioned before, Wayne didn't kill killed Telson as he picked up a major lesson from Wax. Despite his rage, he stopped himself from doing something that Wax himself wouldn't have done in the moment. Telson seems to have survived, likely healing herself with a gold mine or some such. What did you make of this sort of getaway for her and this growth for Wayne as well? I, on one hand, I kind of would have liked to see that really deep change in Wayne. Mm-hmm. And we do in him using a gun in general, but to kill somebody for a good reason sure, would have been the completion of an arc as well. But at the same time, I like that she survived in that we have a lot to learn from her. We have a whole, she, she holds a whole lot of information and we're going into this next book with a pretty big antagonist. Yeah. In the form of Telson. We've traded suit for Telson in a big way. We'll talk about that in the epilogue, of course, but cool. All right. With that, we go to chapter 31, our final full chapter of the book. Just a little bit to talk about here. This feels like it would have been an epilogue in any of the other books, but we get some like stinger credits almost for our actual epilogue. (laughs) But that said, we make it back to Ellendell in the sky. Tensions are incredibly high in this moment as they land and the entire world sees an airship for the first time. There's a lot of debate like the last chapter about who should have what, but... It all pretty much pans out the way that we expect and the way that it was spoken for previously. We just get a little bit more confrontation between the political powers that be and the Southern Scotrians. Wax makes his way to Saris as they go to wake everyone as they're coming down upon the sort of scene. And they share a sweet moment that culminates in a kiss as their relationship has blossomed over the portion of this book. And mm-hmm. it's, it's pretty it's pretty cute. Yeah, it is cute. There's There's a lot of wrap up that happens here. In general, to the point where I almost would have believed that this would that this could have been the end of the era. Like there, there's obviously a lot of new information dropped, but it's new information that we could have explored another couple hundred years later. You know, like we I would have been perfectly OK jumping into era three from here, given how much wrap up we get. Sure. Like we obviously know right away after the book that he's working on the next entry into this era that comes out a couple days ago for everybody listening (laughs) or it's out now but i totally could have been okay with this being the end of the era okay given this wrap up i can see that in all honesty because it does actually do a pretty satisfying job of bringing nearly everything to a head outside of trell and the societal rebellions right like those are the two remaining kind of question marks that we have Otherwise, we've had a decent amount of character rev- like mm-hmm. resolution on everyone's front. Given that, I that. wonder if we're going to get a similar small jump like we did from Well of Ascension to Hero of Ages. Mm. A couple of Another, years, you're thinking? Yeah. We're sure. knee-deep in rebellion and more of that technology has integrated into society or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. 
I, I've read the first two chapters, so I can't say anything. Marisy gets bullied by Wayne about Alec liking her. I think this is a really kind of sweet moment that happens where, like, <laughs> Wayne's, like, kind of elbowing her. And it's nice not only because, like, Wayne's bullying her about someone else liking her, but it's also because Wayne's acknowledged that Wax is with Steris. Like, there's a dual kind of thing here where Wayne's come to terms with it in a big way. Yeah. And, I mean, we get to wrap it in the, oh, Wayne's just kind of a bully, kind of. <laughs> yeah right comedy lens mm-hmm. so yeah, yeah i agree it's, it's i i would define it as like bullying via elbow nudge you know yeah. <laughs> it's uh, not literal bullying it's right ribbing yes yeah exactly all right Ardell did prepare what was asked of course for wax on on the way over on the call over however that was done and we move into just a heartwarming scene where wax asks if steris would be willing to be his bride and this is so sweet because it, it diverges from the contract he's like i don't want it because of the contract we can rip that up whatever and it really tugs at your heartstrings as she accepts and they embrace planning to get married this very night she kisses him roll credits that's the book yeah. That's the book. I I loved the line of they got a wedding. It's not there. It's not our fault. It didn't result in it or result from it. Mm -hmm. Like, yes, perfect. And it it feeds into their boat. Like both of their, or at least Steris is a fairly private person, despite her planning and despite her like presentation for other people. Yeah. Yeah. I, I I liked the way that this wrapped. Yes. I would I would definitely agree with you. I think it's it's a clever way of tying in the marriage and like making it happen here at the end. Because it's mm-hmm. it doesn't need to be this big thing. Which again ties us back to era one with marriages not being a big deal. Like it it should be That's we, true. we made this whole point at the beginning of the book about talking about the pop and circumstance of the wedding in the survivorist fashion, and I think it's important to draw that parallel here again where it's like it doesn't need to be that. It's just about the two people. Right. So. All right. What? What? Roll credits. And there's there's an epilogue. There's three mid credits stingers. Is this a fucking Marvel movie? What is yes, this? this is a Marvel movie. Surprise. Marvel bought the right. The Disney bought the rights <laughs> and they made a movie. And that's. Honestly, this epilogue has so much in common with Marvel stingers that like it almost it stings for me to even make that joke because it does. It's true. Genuinely (laughs) feel like that kind of a stinger as opposed to sort of a general vague thing that sometimes epilogues can be. But regardless, we open up with Marisi digging into research after everything she's learned as the Civil War is brewing in the background. And we see that beat as we maybe begin to see the outer cities have been training people i think bilming is mentioned in addition to another out, outer city yeah there's mm-hmm. trouble is brewing yeah trouble's brewing all right it's pretty fucking bad was marisy not a part of those conversations before where civil war was mentioned i i think she was but i think that this makes it more explicit right so it's okay. the fact that people have been trained and that yeah. it it's extending a lot further than just the sort of political back rooms, which it seemed to be trapped in before. It's more of a real threat as opposed yes. to an ideological threat. Exactly. Right. Okay. Right. And the technolo- technological advances seem to point at that accelerating even faster. So mm-hmm. we move from that stinger to suit claiming 
that the set also has faceless immortals of their own. As something with red eyes enters the room and has this brief conversation with him, it claims that their timetable has changed, as has their end goal, that this planet is to be purged. It explodes and kills itself and suit. What the fuck, dude? <laughs> so fucking crazy. The first impression, the first mention of the red eyes, immediately, Coloss. But, like, no. <laughs> yeah. So I don't, I don't, I have no idea what's going on here. That's, I'm, I'm assuming it is a different uh, creature than the chondra different species than the chondra um the way it's described Mm -hmm. still still immortal still in the shape-shifting kind of realm but i'm assuming it's separate from chondra the way it's described yeah yeah Yeah, i feel like it is and that's why i think that he says that they have faceless immortals of their own not saying Mm -hmm. chondra necessarily but saying that there's something else there tying it in so that said, it, it literally could be corrupted Chondra because we know that, you know, Lessie was a corrupted Chondra, right? So, like, it could be a thing. It could um, be. But I tend to agree with you that I don't think it's necessarily corrupted Chondra. Mm-hmm. That it's something else. And Chondra can't explode. True. They don't have red So far eyes. as we're aware. So far as we're aware. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> maybe they've got that option. You know, I don't know. <laughs> they've they've got a lot of options. And our final point inside of this epilogue, Wax finally taps that coin that he was given because he realizes that it wasn't really the coin that he thought it was, but it contained many of the same layers that he had seen previously in all of the other medallions over the course of this journey. And we see the perspective of a traveler walking among the cold of distant lands scars layered on top of his arms and a single haunting word spoken into wax's mind survive this fucking chills also (laughs) i forgot to write this in chills fucking chills fucking chills every time but also we see blue alimantic lines flowing out to him from his face not his body not the center of his body he's just got a really dense head I think he's got a spike in his face, man. I think he's got a spike in his eye. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah, man. I yeah. I do want to. I know. I know that you have to go, and we'll wrap this up quick. I do want to have the brief conversation about why the sovereign is Kelsier, because I think everyone's going to want this bit. Yeah. So to lay it out from the groundwork as I see it, and feel free to dismantle this, and we'll kind of proceed from there. Kelsier set up the temple. The sovereign and and is the sovereign. He set up the temple to make people think that the Lord Ruler was still alive, so they would go looking for the bracers that he is depicted as wearing and has been written in the historica and everything else as these important metal mines. So he sets that up as a trick and a trap because we know Kelsier is a tricky bastard. He then takes effectively the spear that killed him and the spear that maimed the survivor, which is an important thing inside of the religion and tax a new one on the end because he's going to be the guy who knows that that's a thing. Right. And so mm-hmm. he manages through means of which we do not know and cannot ascertain to create the bands of mourning, not out of the Lord rulers, bracers or metal mines or anything else, but in some other fashion and imbues it into that spearhead. Not necessarily the one that kills him either. I don't think that it's quite that sort of mythical i think it's more what worked at the time and i mean i i could i could 
go as far as saying that he could have done it through the power of the the well because we know he holds that at some point too textually sure yeah 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 i there there is that part of the conversation and then as a just an addendum to the idea that he is the sovereign as well not only creating the bands but the misaligned timeline of the 30-year differential between the death of the Lord Ruler and otherwise points to him being there after the Catasandra. Yeah. Or showing up in those lands after the Catasandra. Right. Yeah. Which the Lord makes, Ruler could do. Makes sense to but, me. Yeah. So mm-hmm. you're in on the Kelsier idea, huh? Or are you sticking with the Lord Ruler? No, I'm in on the Kelsier idea. I, I think that truly makes more sense. But. Okay. All right, cool. I just want to make sure that we recounted that because everyone's going to have already read the next fucking book. They're going to be tearing us a new one in the comments at this point because everyone is enjoying the Lost Metal presently. With except that, for me. Yeah, except for us. <laughs> With that, next week, we are going to be releasing an episode, and I am so sorry that I maybe can't be more specific. We are either going to be talking about the first half of Secret History or the entire thing. Or the Bands of Morning wrap-up episode. I can't tell you which it's going to be necessarily. You're safe to read the first half of Secret History. You might need to read the whole thing. It's not that much more if you need to. But we'll mm-hmm. we'll communicate that via socials to be a little bit more clear when we make the judgment call of what that looks like. So regardless, you've got at least two weeks before we start The Lost Metal. So if you want to read along, sorry, you got to wait a little bit, but if you want to read with us, it's going to be about two or three weeks. Mm-hmm. So. Right. Because you've got to read it a bunch of times. I have to at least read it twice, which is a challenge, especially because I'm hanging out with my family <laughs> that I only yeah. see once a year. So, uh, yeah, we're going we're gonna to make it happen. It's going to happen. Mm-hmm. So, that... You know, that's as big of a pre-warning as I can give you. Again, if we do Secret History in two parts, it's going to be part one through three and then part four through six. So that would be the way it will break up. Otherwise, it'll be all the way through and a Bands of Morning wrap up. This is the only time that I can't really tell you. And, you know, future me wishes that they could. But unfortunately, mm-hmm. here we are. Too bad. Cool. So that's where we'll leave you for this week. Thank you, Tim and Andrew, as ever, for keeping our show's lights on. You can find all of our links in the show notes where you can find our schedule, our Patreon, our previous episodes, websites, social media accounts, all in one convenient location. Yes, we are so glad to have all of our patrons in here chatting with us, especially going into the launch week of such an exciting and important book. If you were able to attend the wrap up, we are so we were so happy to have you and we are so glad that you showed up. Thank you for all of your support forever and always. Like PJ said, you can find all of those links. If for some reason you can't find them, Words Whiskey Pod on Twitter, Instagram, Reddit. If Twitter exists in this week, I, I don't know. It's been a it's been a hell of a week. You can email us if you can't find us on Twitter at words and whiskey show at gmail.com. You can also join the Patreon and chat with us about all kinds of things, including I think presently we're doing a first law read along. But you can join us at patreon.com forward slash words and whiskey. And we've t-shirts on T public, but more to come sooner than later. I know I've been saying this for a while, but we're we're closer to the screen printing thing day in and day out. 
we've got a we've got a practice one coming. So we'll see how that goes. Needless to say, leave us a five star review or Aaron will come for your guts. I mean, what else do you want? <laughs> she will. Yeah. It's terrifying. Cool. See you next week. Bye. Bye.